Josh, I seem to have, uh, I seem to have been wrong about something again. What's that? And I, uh, I have to make a formal apology. Drapian V-Star is, mm -hmm. uh, certified good. And I apologize to all the Drapian V-Star believers out there. <laughs> In fact, I was actually wrong about a lot of things from Lost Origin, but, you know, we don't need to, we, you know, we don't need to, don't need to go into that. Anyway, welcome to the Damage Counter Podcast. You got Phelan over here. And Josh over here. And as always, coming back at you with another episode, episode 18, talking lots about Pokemon cards. Fun episode today. We have the start of a new season. The 2023 season has officially begun. And uh, we are talking about, uh, you know, five tournaments that happened this past weekend. Yes, five. As well as a bunch of really cool product that came out. We are traveling back in time. Sort of, with Dialga V-Star as our 60-card showcase for this week's episode. And then, at the top of the episode, we're going over how we both approach building deck lists. It's kind of a big deal. You know, you need to know how to build a deck to play the game. Uh, so, understanding the fundamentals of that is key. So, we've got you on that at the top of the show. Josh, ready to get into this? Yeah, let's go. Damage Counter, episode 18. Josh, what have you been up to, man? Uh, last two weeks, been a whole lot of crap, to be honest. Uh, I was, I think I mentioned this on the last episode, I was dealing with my whole computer being out of commission situation. Mm. That continued on for a little longer. I, uh, ended up having to call Amazon, like, two more times to get my money back, and... Finally got fed up, like, waiting to get that money back. Ordered a new graphics card. Got that replaced. Had two monitors uh, break on me. The first one, I broke myself on accident. I was trying to plug in an HDMI cord and tilted it too far and cracked it. That was the same day my computer stopped working, by the way. <laughs> so that was, like, double whammy. Uh, and then my, like, side one that I've had ever since I got my PC was, like, the monitor I bought with it. Uh... I had a little, like, spot in the bottom corner where it was, like, kind of faded a little bit. And I was like, oh, I guess this one's starting to wear out. And then, uh, about a week and a half ago, after a game of League, there was suddenly a giant black circle in the bottom corner of the monitor. Yeah, it, so, looked, like, uh, it looked like just, like, all the little lights and the LEDs were just, like, slowly falling away yeah. from each other. Yeah, it, it just looked like that whole circle was just dying and it was slowly, like, extruding outwards. So... Uh, I had to spend a lot of money, replace those, had uh, some BS with another bill come up that I had to pay, so 
I've been broke as dirt, which means I haven't gotten to even uh, touch Lost Origins yet. I have not touched a single Lost Origins card in person. Or seen one in person, by the way, because I also haven't had a chance to like go out to uh, locals. So, I'm yeah. pretty far behind. I'm still living in another era, technically. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, whew, that's wild, honestly. Yeah. At least, so, uh, though... At least, though, the Lost Origin cards are actually remaining pretty cheap, which I was genuinely surprised at. I am a little bit, too. Uh, definitely not upset about it. Cause, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's going to be until about probably the end of this month before I can finally get Garantino ordered. So, it is what it is. Uh, I, am, like, I have Garrett or Dialga that I'm playing right now, which we'll talk about more later since it's our deck of the day. It's still good in Lost Origin format, too, so... Yeah. But uh, besides that, I got sick around Wednesday of last week, and it has not gotten better since then. <laughs> I mean, it's gotten slightly better, but my congestion is still awful. Like, I have the thing where when you breathe, your whole chest vibrates. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, that's, like, that's why I keep coughing, because I, like, inhale too heavily, and then my, like, chest vibrates, and it gets uncomfortable. But uh, besides that... Not much, really. <laughs> That's about it. It's been <laughs> my two weeks. Yeah, rolling, rolling in the deep down there, man. Good lord. Yeah. What about you? Uh, it's been incredibly hectic. Uh, you know, if anybody happens to follow me on Twitter, y'all probably know that uh, the Baltimore Regionals just finished up. It's where I was. I went out to Baltimore for the weekend. Uh, enjoyed the regionals. And I, I'm just going to get all this out here at the top of the show while I'm talking about it. Whew. Um, there, there have been better regionals <laughs> in the past. I mean, this whole kind of thing was just kind of wild. Like, first off, the regional costing like $70. The prize payout being pretty, pretty bad. Like, a lot of the day, a lot of the, the guys that made day two, like, got hardly any points didn't get like there was no like cash pricing there was hardly any like booster packs or or anything like that like from what i understand a lot of the, like half of the players that made day two got like squat outside of like a little bit of cp towards their world invite which is pretty big don't get me wrong but you know outside of that it's just been like yeah they played like 15 rounds and then have, like, nothing to show for it. Just because they, you know, didn't quite get up there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of wild. Oh, and then there's, like, a lot of really weird inconsistencies about the event. Like, there's a lot of people running around without face masks on, which is supposed to be, like, the COVID guideline thing. Now, I understand now. I literally just saw a Twitter post, literally before hopping on the microphone, that apparently you know, medical exemptions are being handed out for that, and that's fine. But, like, I don't know why that hasn't been made known. Like, had I known that was a thing, like, I feel like it would it would be good to let people know that. It would be like, oh, hey, you know, if you need to be medically exempt from the mask to come to the event, that's an option now. Like, I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't think that was ever publicly announced. No, I haven't heard anything about that, really. Yeah, so that... Uh, that would have saved some people some grief. It would have made the event more accessible. Because I saw people online complaining about it. How, like, judges were going around telling people to put the masks over their nose and stuff like that. 
and then walking around the event without one themselves. So like a lot of people were like complaining about that being like, that's kind of like a double standard thing. But you know, that viewpoint only arises because nobody decided to publicly announce that there were like medical exemptions for that stuff. So I don't know. That was, that was pretty weird. And then just in general, just, man, I usually have nothing but nice things to say about the judges, but like this go around, I mean, maybe you heard of it and I'm sure a lot of the listeners that were dialed into the streams know full well that there was uh, some talk of some cheating going on on stream and um, not really a whole lot being done about it, you know, despite the fact that there's table judges at the stream table watching the game and it's their sole responsibility to make sure the game is being played properly, but you know. I think they're just there for a show at this point. Sorry, let me get off of that 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 soapbox. Anyway, uh, yeah, not uh, not not the strongest regional in my opinion. Still a lot of fun. Still a lot of fun. I had a good time. I competed. Actually, got my best regional finish this past weekend at five four uh, with uh, Arceus flying Pikachu Rapid Strike. So, hooray for improvement. <laughs> <laughs> It's always good, and uh, took some friends with me. Uh, my buddy, buddy Chris, got like five hundred something. I don't remember exactly, but for his first regional, he did really well. He played Palkia Ice Rider, and uh, he did really well. Uh, I got three hundred thirty fourth, and then a uh, friend of the show, Jake Riggs, who we had again. I want to think it's episode eight, but I really don't remember. <laughs> uh, we had him on talking about Arceus and Teleon. He got a hundred and third out of uh, one thousand eighty-eight players, which is good. yeah, that's that's insane. Uh, he was also playing uh, Palkia Ice Rider, so shoutouts to Jake, man, he killed it. But we had a good time, you know, despite all the all the rigmarole and the you know having to fly on like four different planes. Uh, it was de- it was definitely not pretty, but. At the end of the day, we, we went out there, we competed, we had some fun, and, uh, you know. Oh, I forgot to mention, they also ran out of, uh, like, playmats and regional promos, which is kind of like, I don't know, that's the whole thing, is that, like, if you enter the tournament at any, like, even if you don't pay for, like, the extra swag or whatever, like, you always get the playmat, you always get the regional promo, and they ran out of both. So I just can't help but feel like there was like some very sloppy handling of this event behind the scenes. I don't know. It just seemed really bad. Yeah, that sounds kind of rough. Yeah, so uh, swing and a miss on that one. But, uh, you know, here's hoping that uh, Overload events can take all the constructive criticism that they're getting uh, and do do better at the next regional they're hosting, whichever one that might be. I don't actually know. But either way, okay, I'm done talking about Baltimore regionals. so yeah um you might also recall that in the last episode i was talking about how i probably wasn't going to go to car trooper um i've changed my mind i'm going i figured (laughs) yeah so that'll be uh, at the time y'all are listening to this that'll actually be you know this this weekend if you listen to this the day it comes out so uh if any of y'all are going to car trooper hit me up i will have had Almost zero testing in the Lost Origin format. Um, so, 
here's hoping this goes well. <laughs> it's gonna be rough, dude. Are there still signups for that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I signed up like, well, like a day before going to Baltimore. I'm pretty sure they still have uh, some availability for it. They're doing some changes to it this time around. It's not best of one anymore. Um, really? Yeah, they're going to do best of three, cut to top eight, and then top four will be like a day two event. Um, so they're doing some changes to it. It's pretty. It's pretty interesting. Are you Banshee running it? Nah, nah. I'm rooming with Marshall again. <laughs> See, now I'm really tempted because I'm off this weekend. Ooh. And I wasn't I wasn't going to bother going because you said you weren't going to go. So I was like, oh, I don't feel like going out there by myself. But now you've done this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you've done this. Hey, man, if you, can, if you can get that $40 registration fee out of the way, hit me up. <laughs> I'll be I'll yeah, be driving I'll, alone, so you know. I'll have to look. I'll have to look. I'll have an answer for you in the next day or two. If signups are still out. Yeah, hit me up. So you might see both right. of us there. Right. Yeah. All right. Now that we've used our podcast to uh to talk about plans for Car Trooper, because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just immediately got interested when you were like, "Yeah, I am going." <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's it's close by. The drive isn't that bad. Uh, you know, we get to see our friend Marshall, which is awesome. Yeah, that's a big reason I always want to go to uh, Card Troopers, because I know you get to see Marshall. So uh, it's like extra icing on the cake. Well, that was, uh, okay, so I'll be 100% honest. I really wasn't going to go, but I went, um, I had to deliver, uh, like, like my old external AC unit to my girlfriend's sister. Because we don't need it in our new apartment. Like, the air conditioning works really well here. So, she was like, hey, I could use it. So, I was like, all right, cool. I'll just drop it off for you. And she happened to work, like, right next to one of my favorite video game stores. So, I was like, okay, I'll just hop in here real quick and take a look. And, of course, anytime I'm at a video game store, I'm hitting up Marshall being like, hey, man, you need this, you need that. How about this? Uh, And I came across a Super Famicom game. I don't even know what it is. I didn't bother trying to look up what it was, but it's uh, it's uh, some some Gundam game, I think, uh-huh. or you know something in that wheelhouse. Uh, and he's like, "Yo, dude, I've been I've actually been looking for that one for a while. You mind picking that up for me?" He's like, "Yeah, I got you." It was like fifteen bucks. So I was like, "Yeah, I got you, bro." So I bought it, and I was like, "Dang, it really sucks that I'm not going to Car Trooper, man, because like I I don't I don't want to hang on to this for super long. Like I want to give this to him." So that was, I'm not going to lie, that was the catalyst to be like, I talked to my girlfriend, I was like, hey, are you okay with me traveling four weekends in a row? She's like, yeah, it's chill. I was like, all right, bet. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are. It's my fun little story about how I decided to to die this month in terms of travel. (laughs) Which, speaking of which, I'll also, since I guess, I'm trying to think, I think we'll actually have had Peoria Regionals too. By the time we get to the next episode. So let me mention it here. I'll be at Peoria Regionals too. So <laughs> it's going to be it's gonna be busy. I'm hustling and bustling. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think it'll be fun. Not really a whole lot else going on, though. It was just all preparation for Baltimore. And uh, competing in Baltimore now that that's done. We just got to hit the, hit the grindstone and keep things running. So that's really all I got. 
Alright. If a, a personalizer out of the way, let's get into the actual meat here. Yeah, the meat and taters of the podcast. We got card of the day. Lovely little segment. Love doing this. Of course, as we do every episode, we love to highlight a single particular Pokemon card. Only criteria it is for the segment that it has to be a Pokemon card. And we get to talk about it here on the show. And we have a lovely, lovely card today here. Let's talk about it. So we have another card. I, 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 I feel like I just have to like give her like a shout out or like an award or something on Twitter. Because this is another card that comes recommended by my lovely girlfriend. Today we're talking about Espeon VMAX. And you know what? Her timing on this is impeccable. Because this card somehow became incredibly relevant. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how these kinds of things work out, right? So yeah, we're talking about Espeon VMAX. And the reason this card is relevant, because if you look at the alternate art, absolutely gorgeous, by the way. Uh, it was illustrated by Koki Saito, who was actually present at Baltimore Regionals doing signings. Uh, so this card is incredibly popular, and I'm sure somebody got this card signed by him. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, so that's one thing. Not only that, but SB on VMAX... Like an Espeon VMAX centered deck somehow made day two at Baltimore Regionals and got top 128. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, now, I'll let y'all in on a little bit of my secret sauce. I thought this card wouldn't see, like, a like. I thought people would just gloss over this card until Lost Origin because I do... And ironically, think this card is actually sick in the Lost Origin format. I won't elaborate on it further. You figure it out. But let's go ahead and talk about it. So we got Espeon VMAX. Psychic-type VMAX Pokemon, 310 HP. Has the ability Solar Revelation. This ability is cracked. Prevent all effects of attacks from your opponent's Pokemon done to all of your Pokemon that have any energy attached. Existing effects are not removed. Damage is not an effect. So, let's stop right there. That ability is cracked. Yeah, I mean, any kind of ability that can, like, shut down your opponent's effects and stuff is always going to be good. Yeah, especially, like, when you consider, um, just kind of just kind of the weird things we have in the format. Like, I, I know it's not seeing a ton of play now. It's starting to see a little bit of resurgence, but, um... But we have Beedrill, the single strike Beedrill that, uh, for one, Grass Energy uh, says if your opponent's active Pokemon has a special energy attached, it is knocked out. That's an effect of an attack, right? So you can just go, actually, I have energy attached, so Solar Revelation is in effect, which means Persisting does nothing. Anyway. <laughs> so it's like it's like things like that, right? Yeah. Which is super sick. Uh, then you have the attack, Max Mindstorm for Psychic and Double Colorless. Very easy attack cost to fulfill. You do 60 damage, uh, or rather, you do 60 damage for each energy attached to all of your opponent's Pokemon. So in some matchups, that's kind of like whatever. But, you know, we have Arceus in the format, which takes 3 energy to attack. And if they go Trinity Nova and accelerate an additional 3 energy, that's 6 energy on board. A three times six, that's like 360 damage. And even with double turbo energy, you're dealing 340. Like, no belt required. Yeah. 
That's pretty crazy. I, I, like, honestly, I think it's even crazier in this format, just because, like, you really don't need to hit that high for too many things. <laughs> so, like, I do love this kind of card, because it's really scary as, like, the opponent, depending on what deck they're playing. Because, you're, you're, like, as you try to make yourself stronger, you're really just making this Espeon more of a threat to try to have to deal with later on. Yeah, it is, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that, like, the HP threshold has, you know, we're shooting for lower numbers than we were when this came out, right? Like, yeah, this... but the... Go ahead. <clears throat> no, you're fine. I was just gonna say, we, we are shooting for lower numbers, numbers, but I don't want to make it seem like it's useless that Espeon can hit that high, because you, you do still oh, sure. need to in, in certain scenarios. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's still VMAXs running around in the format, and of course, uh... Certain V-Stars with Big Charm just become absolutely massive. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's still amazing that you can hit those numbers. But, like, you know, it, it it's interesting because, like, when, when Sylveon came... Or, I'm sorry, when Espeon came out in Evolving Skies, like, it wasn't really that great because you weren't getting a lot of energy into play most of the time. Like, most decks were just attaching energy. So, Max Mindstorm didn't really ramp up at all. And things just kind of got worse when Mew came out because suddenly dark types were everywhere and you just couldn't play this. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just a really bad time to play Espeon. Which is funny because I, I distinctly remember thinking in the Brilliant Stars format, I was like, dude, if Mew wasn't a thing causing all these dark type Pokemon to show up out of nowhere, Espeon would have been cracked. Because then Arceus decks have to be very careful with how they do Trinity Nova, like how they attach energy and stuff. And they would be protected from any Beedrill shenanigans. It's just like, dude, this card would have been cracked. But because Mew exists, there's too many dark types running around and this card can't see play. So I'm glad that it that it came full circle and uh, managed to secure top 128 at Baltimore this past weekend. That was super sick. For those that are curious, because you won't find the deck list up on Limitless yet, it might show up later, but um, for those curious, it was an Arceus build that also played Flying Pikachu. So, uh, in fact, actually, it's not too far from uh, the the Arceus Pikachu Sylveon list that I've been playing and that you might have seen from uh, Ty Nugent and... Uh, a few random people playing online. It's actually not too different, except instead of like a Rapid Strike package uh, and Sylveon, it's Espeon and like Babarel or something. So it's actually not too terribly different and still really, kind of really good. <laughs> it gives uh, it gives Arceus Flying Pikachu like the big, the big damaging numbers that like that deck lacks. It, gets, it helps fix that deck's biggest weakness, which is just kind of its lackluster damage when you're not uh, going into Palkia. Yeah, 100%. So that it's actually really interesting and a super good meta call. I don't know who the player was. I'd have to like scroll way back out on my Twitter to find it. But, you know, if you're listening, dude, shout out. Massive shout outs. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. I'm always... Uh... You know, any kind of different deck that someone's willing to take to a regional and try out, I think, is cool. Just because it's different, interesting, and you never know what might accidentally be, like, that meta pick. That, uh, like, the big brain move that, like, no one's expecting. 
Oh yeah, so, this is yeah, this is definitely it. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, it's cool to see another one of the evolutions uh, getting some representation out there because uh, it's been kind of a minute since any of them have been super relevant. You know, they still have their niche uses around, but I really, I don't know. I'd say what what's probably the biggest one being played right now? Not really any of them, besides for the most part. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. I think probably, I would say if any of them is seeing play, it's probably Leafeon. I was going to say, Leafeon's probably about to be seeing a lot more play. Yeah, because I know we saw, I think it was NAIC, where somebody managed to day two with Arceus Leafeon. Um, and I know, actually, Arceus Leafeon is actually quite good in Lost Origin, actually, strangely mm-hmm. enough. Just because a lot of the uh, a lot of the new cards from Lost Origin actually have retreat cost of two or higher, uh, and Leafeon hits really really good numbers with two retreat cost on V Star Pokemon, um, so that's actually really good. Uh, but besides yeah. that, like honestly, outside of Leafeon, it's like me and Ty playing Sylveon, and that's about it. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, they're all good cards, it's just I don't think any of them are really too super valid just for where the format's at right now with what they do. I am, like, definitely... I'm probably going to end up playing that Leafeon version of uh, Gira. I think that's the one I'm going to go with. Cause oh, that, it's so good. Yeah, it is so good. Like, I was pretty much sold on the uh, Arcagira list, and that's what I was going to play, and then I saw this Leafeon list, and I was like, this kind of looks cooler to me. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, super sick, super aggressive, but yeah, that's a that's a conversation for another day. I know True. I mentioned it a little bit before, but we gotta talk about this artwork. Who let this? Who let this Dynamaxed Espeon just sleep on a house? <laughs> Who's gonna stop it? Who's gonna stop it? You're gonna get Max Mindstorm to death. I do. I I do kind of want to. Wa- wonder what was going through uh koki saito's like how he came to like yeah i want to i want to illustrate a giant espion hunched over sleeping on a building i i wonder i wonder how he came to that i don't know but it's adorable it is it is incredibly adorable and of course like with uh most if not every uh vmax alternate art if i could remember you have the uh you know, the, the pillars of light in the background signifying the Dynamax Dens from Sword and Shield, which is still an incredibly nice touch that I love so much. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful card. Beautiful card. I think that'll wrap us up for our card of the day. So let us know what you think, Espeon VMAX. Do you love it? I know you do. I mean, the answer to that question is yes. But are you going to play it? Hit us up, let us know on Twitter at Damage Counter, Damage Counter Podcast at gmail.com if you prefer email. Hit us up, let us know what you think. Now, Josh, holiday season is coming up, man. Yep. <laughs> there is so much product going on, and there were five tournaments this past weekend. I think we better just jump into the news and get this over with. Yep. There's let's, a lot. Let's do it.
All right, so starting things off, let's let's tackle all this product first. Now, some of these, and by some of these, I mean one of these, uh, we've talked about a bit before. We knew it was coming. We have the Arceus V-Star Ultra Premium Collection finally revealed. It's apparently exclusive to GameStop. Um, I gotta be honest, normally the uh, Ultra Premium Collections are like super Omega awesome and I just want to buy them all. I gotta be honest, Josh, this one I'm not feeling, which is weird because Arceus V-Star is probably one of my favorite cards ever printed in a very long time. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, like, I wouldn't say the pro this is, like, a complete bust, but... No, no. I feel like, uh, like, I've heard Dom, I think he said it best, he's like, who is this product aimed for? Because it's, it's just, like, if you're playing the game... Sad to say, this product isn't actually, like... You get the playmat, you get these cool, like, the metal coin and the die. But the cards aren't actually playable. They're they're metal. Yeah, they're like these metal slabs, which are nice as, like, shelf decorations, but... You know... Yeah. So, like, you know, as we're players, uh, us here on the cast... You know, I like these Ultra Premium Collections because they come with very beautiful promo cards that you can't get anywhere else... So, especially with me being being a guy that loves playing Arceus decks, I was like, yeah, dude, I'm going to get this nice promo. These artworks are going to be sick. The foil pattern is going to be sick. Like, this is going to look so nice. And then it's just like, nope, there are metal slabs that you can, you know, display, which is nice. But the problem with that is that they, they're not even different artworks. It's just the yeah, base it's, artworks. It's the card. Metal. Which is it's, like, it's it's like okay because it has like this silver sheen and it's kind of like, uh, it's got like this cool looking texture to it. And I mean, that's cool and all, but like, it's just it's not really, like compare this to the Charizard Ultra Premium Collection that's coming out a couple months before this. Three new alternate artwork cards that are playable. Collectors and players both benefit from that. The collectors can get it, they can grade them, they can put them in a slab. They can display them, whatever. Players can get it. They can put it in a deck. It'll look super nice. You know, you can flaunt your your alternate arts to your to you know to your opponents as you're playing. All that kind of good stuff. This product offers neither of that for either party. It's really annoying. Yeah. It. Uh. I feel like this could have been easily fixed by uh, just include like. I think it should have been a different artwork, and it should have just included paper cards, and if they really wanted to do the metal cards, they could have included that too. Because, I mean, let's be honest, at the end of the day, for uh, more shiny cardboard to be printed, it's it's on the scents. You know what I mean? They could have very easily included some paper cards in with this collection or something, I think, to make it more appealing. Yeah, I feel like that's always, like, the Catch-22 is just, like, you know, they do stuff like this, and it's just, like, Pokemon, we know you're loaded. Yeah. Come on, like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Like, even if they were like, I, I honestly, I would even be okay with this if they like had both the metal slabs and like paper versions of the card, and then just like knock up the price a little bit by like maybe 10, 15 bucks or something. Like, I'd be okay with that. I, I, I would think that's fine. Yeah, that'd be cool, because then it's like, even if you're primarily a player, you're getting, like, a cool display piece. If you're, like, primarily a collector, you get the, like, I mean, you're still getting to collect the, like, 
Arceus paper card and you get the metal one for your collection. So I think it's a lot more win-win than what this is because as much as I would love to buy this product, it's really hard to justify spending $100. It's a hard sell, yeah. Yeah, what you're getting. Now, aside from the metal slabs, of course, like Josh mentioned before, you get a play mat, which is apparently apparently foil and etched. I don't know how that works, but um, I would like to see that in person. But you also get a set of metal die, this super sick-looking Arceus coin. Like, honestly, that the coin is kind of a selling point for me, for me right now. That coin is sick. <laughs> uh, it's, the, it's the play mat for me. I am tempted to still buy this just for the play mat. The playmat is nice. Uh, I believe this is actually the booster pack artwork for Starbirth in Japan, I think. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's what that is. And then, of course, it comes with just a truckload of booster packs. 15 booster packs. And it looks to be split across uh, Brilliant Stars, Astral Radiance, Lost Origin, and Vivid Voltage, of all things. Yeah, that's a little weird. There's a little weird choices with that too, honestly, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I'm cool with Brilliant Stars, Astral Radiance, and Lost Origin. Obviously, um, I believe, I believe uh, this comes out before Silver Tempest. So, like those three sets being included is fine. And I know they usually do like one or two older sets to round out like the last two or three packs. Eh. Why they're going back to year one Sword and Shield instead of like, you know, sets that are more collectible and more have more playable cards like year yeah, two, like Battle Styles or Evolving Skies or something? I don't know. But... Especially when those older packs are going to be like rotating out not too long from now. Yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's, it's just a slightly weird choice, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it, like, it's kind of cool, right? Because like, Vivid Voltage for collectors is pretty big because it has like the amazing rares. It has the Pikachu V max, right? Like for collectors, that's a great set, but you know, for players, it's just kind of like whatever. And it, and that's like fine because you have lost origin, brilliant stars and astral radiance, which are amazing sets for both collectors and players. So, you know, it is what it is, but it really couldn't be like evolving skies, chilling rain, battle styles. Like, yeah. Anyway. I guess it's just a matter of uh, preference at that point. But anyway, you know, we have the Arceus V-Star Ultra Premium Collection uh, that will be releasing on December 16th. So actually, Silver Tempest will have released by then. Mm. All right, so I suddenly don't like this. <laughs> the booster pack lineup anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I mean, th that could be placeholder. We don't know. But because uh, Silver Tempest. No, Silver Tempest has officially been revealed here in the United States, including its booster pack artwork. So eh, I don't know. That might that might be placeholder. It might not. I don't know. Your mileage may vary. But if that is the booster pack lineup and it doesn't come with any Silver Tempest, that would actually piss me off. I'm not going to lie. Either way. you think I do think that'd be a really bad move to uh, not, like, have whatever your newest set is included in a product like this. Well, yeah, especially because it's, like, a month after the set releases. Yeah. Like, I don't know, that's just... Yeah, I, I'm hoping that's placeholder. Because that would be kind of kind of. It would feel kind of tone-deaf in a way. Yeah, well, maybe a little bit, but... 
Either way, that's the Arceus V-Star Ultra Premium Collection, again, releasing on December 16th. Again, that is going to repay, retail for a clean Benjamin, $100. So, uh, let us know if you're interested, I guess. I... If the money's right, I'll get one. But I'm not going to be chomping at the bit to get this one like I was the Sword and Shield one. Yeah, I hate to say it, I don't think it's going to be that hard to find either. Uh, it's gonna be a super like in-demand thing. Yeah, you're, you you might be right about that, honestly, because Arceus isn't like as super popular. Like it's popular, but it's not. And then like you know the whole fiasco with the metal slabs instead of actual promos. Yeah, yeah. I think the, I think just the unplayability of the promos is gonna turn a lot of people off. Yeah, oh yeah, hundred percent. But what won't turn people off is this next piece of product we have to talk about, and one that I'm very excited about. Josh, we have the Eevee Evolutions Premium Collection, which I believe is also exclusive to GameStop, has been revealed. It is going to release on November 11th for $70, so that is the same day that Silver Tempest comes out. It is a box that comes with a promo of every single Evolution as a Pokemon V. Uh, now, don't... Now, Breathe a sigh of relief for you collectors, you Evolution collectors out there. There are no brand new artworks in this box. All of these have been printed before. Uh, I, Yeah, all of these come from promo tins that were released in the past. So if you manage to pick up all of those tins, you have all these artworks already. So keep that in mind. It doesn't come with any VMAXs either. It's just It's literally just the Vs. But this is... I mean, it's a sick... This is sick, definitely. I think it's weird that it doesn't have the VMAXs, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not really super surprised by it, because, like... They've been pretty stingy with, like, VMAXs and V-Stars as, like, promo cards. Uh, The only thing I can think of is, like, the... uh, like the Eternatus Premium Collection. Isn't that, like, like, a $70 box, and it comes with, like, a 1-1 Eternatus? Or yeah, something, something like that. that. Yeah. I don't know. It just... I hate to say it. It kind of just makes this product uninteresting to me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's... I'm not, like... Since I'm not interested in, like, collecting all the EVVs, I'm like, well, would I really want this? Okay, with the VMAXs, I'd definitely buy it. Because then I'd just have, like, a 1-1 VMAX line of every evolution, at least. That's fair. Uh, I, I'm with you on that. For me... Well, okay, I'll say I am, like, slightly biased on this because this reminds me of the very first uh, promo box that I opened when I started playing the game. It was, like, the Sylveon collection that came out in the black and white era. That it came with, like, uh, it came with a promo for every evolution. Plus, I believe it was actually, there there was a promo Sylveon, and I think that was actually Sylveon's very first card, I think. So that was one of the first, like, big product boxes that I ever opened when I got into the game. In fact, I think I still have a cringy YouTube video of me opening it. (laughs) Um, And I still have all those promos. Like, they're just chilling in my binder, and I look at them, and, you know, people are like, Oh, yo, those for trade? I'm like, no, get out of here. (laughs) You think I'm trading these? (laughs) Uh, So, and I mean, it's like right down to the box design, too, because... That black and white promo box did the same thing with the spiral of the cards. Yeah. 
So like this is this is like pure nostalgia for me. And of course it also helps that Sylveon is one of my favorite Pokemon of all time, and it's right there in the box. I already have that artwork, but like well, maybe we just get the box and just have it anyway, you know what I mean? Like Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, it's really cool and it's kind of a nostalgic thing for me. So I am hundred percent down for this. Also comes uh with nine booster packs. Uh, the product image, I can see Lost Origin, Brilliant Stars, Fusion Strike, Astral Radiance. That's about all I can see. Some of the packs are obscured by the promos. But again, those could be placeholder as well. Um, probably not, considering that this comes out the same day as Silver Tempest, so they probably wouldn't be any Silver Tempest in there, but either way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you're uh, interested in either collecting evolutions or maybe uh, you know you want a primer... Something something to jumpstart building a deck around either of these while getting a couple extra goodies. There you go, perfect product. Now, Josh, we're not done with the uh, we're not done with the boxes yet. No, no, we're not. A bit of a smaller deal. These two, uh, we have the Mew V box and the Kiram V box, uh, both exclusive for Best Buy. It looks like uh, these are much smaller boxes comes with a promo of Mew V from Darkness Ablaze, not from Fusion Strike, so I don't know. <laughs> and uh, Kiram V, which uh, is coming out in our Lost Origin set, come with promos for those. These will release on November 4th, and they will retail for $19.99, so pretty cost-effective, very easy gifts, I think. I think that's just what these are supposed to be, you know, for the casual Pokemon fan or the casual collector, the casual player. You know, these are easy gifts for parents or friends to get. Um, and, I mean, these are yeah. fine. Like, you know, I think Mew V has some untapped potential. X-Ball is kind of a crazy attack. It's just getting it set up is the problem. And uh, I mean, to me, these are the products that uh, younger kids, like, I remember doing this crap. You know, when you're a younger kid, you go to Walmart or whatever, you see one of these boxes, and you're like, I love Mew! That Mew looks cool, you know what I mean? Like, these are just really good products, I think, that just get, like, Vs or, like, cool legendary Pokemon out into it, people's hands. Yeah. Yeah. For, like, more casual audiences. It, exactly, yeah. You know, it, it's it's the it's the 10-year-old kid walking through the Walmart saying, like, oh, that's a legendary Pokemon. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's, that's 100% what this is. Um, so, you know... You, you know the promos at hand. I will say, if you're going to buy e- any of these, the Kirim V is the one to go for. Uh, Kirim has actually done really well in Japan, has done really well in online tournaments, and is probably one of the best decks to come out of Lost Origin, which it's one of those things I got wrong <laughs> in our predictions. But So, I mean, you know, if you aren't buying the singles for whatever reason, if you want an excuse to have a promo... Uh, you know, there you go. And of course, these come with jumbo cards as well, so if you're into the raid format, uh, there you go. You can have jumbo Mew V and Kiram V, which, mm-hmm. actually, Mew as a raid boss might actually be kind of cracked. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you could attach, like, so much energy, and it's mm-hmm. based off of energy on your opponent as well, I believe. Uh, yeah, to both active Pokemon, yeah, so... Uh, Mew V might actually be kind of cracked in raid format, not going to lie. But uh, Kiram, save it for standard. 
<laughs> so again, those will be uh, retailing for nineteen ninety nine exclusively at Best Buy on November fourth. So if you're interested, check it out. Now we've got one last, or really two, two last boxes to talk about. These are probably probably the big ones outside of, of course, you know, the Arceus Ultra Premium Collection. Josh, we have the Darkrai V-Star and the Shaman V-Star Premium Collection. So these are very similar to the uh, Dialga and Palkia Premium Collections that we talked about an episode or two ago. Uh, these will be coming out on November 1st. That's my brother's birthday. Uh, these are going to retail... Oh, do they not have a retail price on here? Oh, I don't think they have a price on here. I think I think the Palki and Dialga ones, I think we're going for 70 Do you remember? Uh, something around that, I want to say, yeah. So Yeah, something like $65, $70, most likely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and just like those boxes, it's going to come with a 1-1 V-Star line for both Darkrai and Shaman, depending on the box you get, of course, as well as a Jumbo card for the V-Star in question. These these premium collections are are fantastic products for for players wanting to build around these decks. Um, it's kind of interesting that, you know, we're getting, like... Because we're getting, like, Dialga and Palkia and like, what, Octavia? October or something like that, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, we're getting them in October. We're getting the Hisui and Zoroark V-Star Premium Collection also in October. And, you know, those are very well-established decks. And then you have, like, Darkrai and Shaman. And don't get me wrong, I know Darkrai. Darkrai's got the sauce, okay? It's 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 viable. But then you have Shaman, which I don't think has really seen much play outside of, like, a backup attacker in, like, Lilligant, for example. So, kind of an interesting choice and interesting timing on these, but, you know, there will be people that will be interested nonetheless, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, these will be coming out on November 1st. Uh, we don't have any pricing information, but they are likely to be around the same price as the aforementioned Dialga Palkia and Zoroark premium collections. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not really much else to say there, so if you're interested in Darkrai V-Star Shaman... November 1st, mark your calendars. I think if I do get these, it'll be strictly for raid format. Darkrai could be fun. Uh, Shaman would actually be cracked. <laughs> yeah, probably. Like, Shaman definitely looks really cool. And I do kind of want the Darkrai too. I am, not going to lie, I'm semi-interested in uh, building uh, a Dark Turbo deck just for the fun of it. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad time to build it, and I don't think... Uh, there's not really anything on the horizon that we know of that would give, like... You'll be, like, a hard counter to Darkrai. Only thing I can really think of is, like, the Superior V-Star. Maybe, if that sees a lot of play, but, you know, that has to see a lot of play for that to be a factor, so... Yeah. But yeah, no, if you're interested in those decks, check it out. Now, just before we hop into the tournaments that we had this past weekend, we've got some really big news to round things out before we start talking about tournaments. Um, at the Yokohama Championship uh, that we'll be talking about later, they officially revealed Japan's Paradigm Trigger set. 
Now, since our new segment is pretty beefy as is, we are not going to go into the translations this go-around. We will uh, talk about these cards at a later date. These are cards that we won't really be seeing until Silver Tempest anyway. That releases on November 11th, so we've got some time to talk about it and uh, give our thoughts on it. Uh, but this is the set that uh, we heard about months ago that is going to bring us Lugia V-Star, Unknown V-Star, Reggie Drago and Regilecki V, uh, Regilecki V-Max, as well as a few other cards that are escaping me that I know we talked about. <laughs> so if you're a fan of any of those Pokemon, uh, check out the translations. I'll leave a link to the article in the episode description. You can read all the cards, see what they do. I will say they haven't revealed the Regidrago or the Regilecki yet. I'm very excited to see what Regilecki VMAX does. Um, I'm just going to say Lugia's kind of cracked, bro. Josh, did you did you read okay. any of the translations? Yeah, uh, let's go ahead. And I want to talk about the Lugia. Just, just this one. We won't do everything else, but this is kind of like the center card that's being advertised here. Sure, so sure. Yeah. So we got Lugia V-Star announced. 280 HP, perfectly in line with V-Stars. First attack, 4 colorless energy, Storm Drive, 220 damage, and you may discard the stadium and play. That's not bad. That's mm -hmm. really not that bad. No, not at all. Uh, 220 is pretty good, and, well, you know, just on the surface, you're knocking out Pokemon V, just in general, which is really good. Um, but also, Lugia is a colorless Pokemon, so you have... Sharon's Care, that you can pick it up and heal it entirely if you can't one-shot it. Uh, you have Powerful Colorless Energy. So for each of those attached, this attack will deal an additional 20 damage. Um, and of course, it being colorless, you can accelerate it with everything under the sun. You know, you have Melanie, you could do Gardenia. Uh, of course, Arceus is an option. Or you can use the Archeops in the set, which... I feel like we should also talk about just because I feel like these two are going to be good partners, but let's you know let's finish up on the V Star first. Okay. So I mean, yeah, that's it's uh that's its basic attacks. For its V Star power, we have a Assemble Star, so you may use this during your turn. <laughs> Choose up to two colorless Pokemon from your discard pile, except for Pokemon with a rule box. Put them on your bench. That's not bad. I mean, just getting to bring two Pokemon back and put them right on the bench. Especially because it doesn't specify what stage they are. So you could just like, like, oh yeah, here's the stage two beat stick. Just here. I didn't have to evolve into it. It's just here. Yeah. And we know like, I mean, one prizes are just, I think going to keep getting better and better as these sets come out. Yeah. We've so. already, we've already seen that with Lost Origin. Like one prizers are actually going crazy in the Lost Origin format right now, which is really cool. Actually. I didn't, I didn't expect to see that, but, um, yeah, one prizers are going crazy right now, but like, there's a lot of utility here, right? Cause like I said, yeah. like you can get like a stage two beat stick that would be hard to get out. Otherwise you could just get up a barrel into play without having to evolve from Bidoof to help you draw cards and stuff like that. Or you can get the brand new Archeops into play. Uh, the only other card I want to talk about, since I, I feel like this is like the perfect partner for Lugia. Uh, Archeops is a stage two Pokemon. Uh, so, you know, normally in our format, you wouldn't see this card see play, probably. 
But the fact that we could just yeet it into play thanks to Assemble Star uh, makes this card insanely good. So Archaeops has the ability Primal Turbo. Once during your turn, you may search your deck for up to two special energy cards and attach them to one of your Pokemon, then shuffle your deck. So if you were concerned that four energy was too much for Lugia's attack, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really... Uh, like, it's not that hard to get energy onto this Lugia at all, I don't think. So... I think it's pretty solid. I think it's cool. Yeah, and, uh, 100%. If you uh, look at the... if you When y'all look at the translations, when you see the alt art for the V, you'll lose your mind because it looks insane. Ooh, it's good. The full art is... Oh, God, yeah. So the, the, the Lugia V is nice. The full art is nice. I love the V star. Um, I also want to give a shout out... Well, I guess... I, I don't want to hover on this too long. But the full art unknown V... Oh, it's so good. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, there's just a lot, a lot of really cool stuff. And again, we still don't, we, you know, we don't know about Reggie Drago V-Star. We don't know about Reggie Lucky V-Max. Uh, so there's a lot of really cool stuff to still be revealed from this set. And I'm pretty excited about that. But there are two more cards we should probably talk. Last two. Last two. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to talk about these specifically because these have... A pretty big implication on the game. We have the Grove Tablet and the Earth Tablet. These are tool cards that you can attach to a Pokemon V that gives that Pokemon a specific V-Star power. So the Grove Tablet, for example, if you attach this card to a Pokemon V, it gets to use the V-Star power printed on the card. Star Alchemy, which says during your turn, you may search your deck for any one card, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your deck. So, uh, Genesect V just got a V-Star power. <laughs> it's going to be really good in Mew. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I do think this is really cool. Uh, the whole V-Star powers on item cards. I think that's a really cool choice to make. Yeah, it's very similar to like uh, the Z-Crystal tool cards that they printed towards the tail end of Sun and Moon. Yeah. Uh, difference is these might actually see play, because mm -hmm. like the Z Crystal cards, like their GX attacks were okay, but like they didn't like compare to like anything that the tag teams had anyway, so it didn't matter. Yeah, tag tag teams were just insane though. Yeah, although they did have the benefit of being like you were allowed to use them on one prize Pokemon, where in this case you have to attach it to a Pokemon V, so it's you know it's a little different, but yeah, a little bit. Uh, the Earth Tablet, however, is also incredibly interesting. For, uh, gives the attack Star Gravity, three colorless energy. Put damage counters on all of your opponent's Pokemon V until they each have 100 HP remaining. That one uh, has the potential to be really nasty. It has the potential to be insanely nasty. Are you telling me my opponent gets two VMAXs into play, I Star Gravity, and then next turn Rapid Flow for game? What? Urshifu is going to go nuts with this card, man. <laughs> like, yeah. Urshifu's coming back, baby. <laughs> anyway. More important than ever. Oh, God, yeah. But anyway, there's, uh, there's a lot still here that we haven't talked about. Uh, so I would urge you to go check out the translations for yourself. There's a lot of really cool cards. And uh, 
this just makes me even more excited for Silver Tempest. So I'm glad I'm saving my store credit. All right. Ready to talk about some tournaments? Some real gamers? Yeah. So we had five different tournaments this weekend. Kind of crazy. So uh, three of these formats uh, were in the Sword and Shield Pokemon Go format. And two of them actually got to play in the Lost Origin format. Actually, that's not true. One of them played in the Lost Origin format. The last one uh, played... It was in Japan. Played in the uh, Incandescent Arcana format, which is like half of our Silver Tempest set. So, a little bit different there, but we'll, we'll cover all that here in a bit. Let's go ahead and start with the Porto Alegre Regionals. In our top cut, we have Caio Navarro playing Palkia and Teleon, Felipe Beraldo playing Arceus Flying Pikachu, uh, sixth place Gustavo Wada playing Palkia and Teleon, fifth place Giovanni Paragallo playing Arceus and Teleon, fourth place Patricia Gonzalez Walsh playing Mewtwo Miltank, third place Pedro Pertusi playing Charizard and Teleon, second Risa Aruda playing Mew Genesect, and first place, Dalton Aketa playing Arceus. Just just straight Arceus. Now, I took the liberty of going through these lists before hopping on the show. And this rings true for basically all of the Pokemon Go format regionals. A lot of these lists are exactly what you expect them to be. So, not really... I, I don't think we need to dive too deep in some of these. Uh, I will say uh, Pedro's uh, Charizard and Teleon list uh, did have a Zeb Strika in it, which is pretty interesting tech, just to try to help out with the Palkia matchup a little bit, as well as an Urshifu V to be able to answer Arceus decks. Uh, but aside from that, it's not too different from what you might expect in a Charizard and Teleon list. Uh, I'm not sure if you noticed anything out of the ordinary there, Josh. No, not really. It's, I mean, it's pretty standard for what that list is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, what I do want to talk about, the only unconventional list from this event is Dalton's first place list. <laughs> Arceus V-Star, a 4-3 line, with one slacking V, one Blissey V, and one Dunsparce. That's it. Pretty interesting. Very interesting indeed. And I know the idea of Arceus slacking has kind of been going around for a while. Slacking is a very interesting card. A 230 HP Pokemon V colorless type. Has the attack heavy impact for four colorless energy. Does 260 damage, which is an absurd number. Attack on a choice belt that's 290, and you're already one-shotting V-Stars. Of course, uh, Dalton is also running the powerful colorless energy, meaning that all of his attackers can do a 20 extra damage for each one of those attached, which can offset the double turbo, which means that you can go double turbo and powerful colorless and still deal 200 damage, which is pretty nice. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of crazy. Uh, but the slacking also has the ability kind of lazy. 
If you have exactly two, four, or six prize cards remaining, this Pokemon cannot attack. Good thing that's an ability, because Dalton also runs four copies of Path to the Peak. So, this is almost kind of like Arceus and Teleon, where you're able to, you know, create these big, beefy, colorless Pokemon that deal a big amount of damage, you know, turn off their weakness with Dunsparce, and then you have Sherrod's Care in the list to pick them up, to deny prize cards and all that kind of good stuff, and just keep the pain train rolling. Yeah. Nobody is talking about this deck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, because, I mean, obviously it worked out. He got first place, so. Mm -hmm. So, shout-outs to Dalton for making the concept work. I know a lot of people have tried making Arceus slacking work, and a lot of people have uh, not exactly done well with that in the past. So, uh, you know, good on him. Yeah. Now, let's uh, move on over to special event Bilbao. Or we actually have a few more results to look at here. So we'll do the usual thing. Josh, outside of the top eight, anything stand out to you? We don't have like list for any of these, so it's literally just straight on the archetypes, I guess. But uh, no, nothing really. Yep, I, I'm I'm with you in that camp. Uh, like I said, this is pogo format at its finest. The yeah. o the only thing that like. I would want to investigate, and like we can't because we don't have the exact deck list. Is fourteenth uh, place Pui Lum Lee uh, playing Ice Rider Palkia, but with the Inteleon engine, uh, which you don't see too very often. Uh, I know you play that, Josh. Uh, my buddy Chris plays that, so I mean, it's not unheard of, but it's just not yeah. something you see often. So let's go ahead and break out this top eight. Then we have eighth place Julius Brunfeld. Playing Palkia and Talion. Seventh place, Christian Tuomi playing New Genesect. Sixth place, Kai Wainwright playing Palkia and Talion. Fifth place, Joshua Vanoverschild. I hope I pronounced that right. Playing Regibox. Uh, Zapdos TCG, if y'all are familiar with his YouTube channel, that's, that's who that is. Uh, actually, really cool to see him get top cut. I, I don't know why. That was just really cool. I was like, dang, Zapdos TCG got top cut. Yo, let's go! Anyway. <laughs> uh, fourth place, Owen Cameraman playing Arceus Flying Pikachu. Third place, Magnus Pedersen uh, with Palkia and Teleon. Second place, Stefan Ivanov playing Arceus Duraludon. And then first place, Pere Arbos Paritz playing Mew Genesect. Now, it's only just now dawning. I, I don't know why this didn't register with me when I was looking at these results earlier today. Um, that we actually, that it was Stefan Ivanov piloting Arceus Duraludon. I didn't, that those synapses didn't fire in my brain when I was looking at this earlier today. But anyway, even though it's, you know, even though it's Ste Stefan playing it, it's still just Arceus Duraludon. Kind mm -hmm. of uh, kind of not a whole lot going on here. Some interesting things, like he's running a place out of trekking shoes, which is interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that in uh, Duraludon. And he's also got the single copy of Karen's Conviction uh, supporter that says, During this turn, your single strike Pokemon's attacks do 20 more damage to your opponent's active Pokemon for each prize card your opponent has taken. So... You know, if, if your opponent is able to knock out an Arceus, or rather a Duraludon VMAX, 
That's like an additional 60 damage just by playing your supporter. Uh, which is actually pretty relevant because that turns Duraludon's G-Max pulverization to exactly 280. <laughs> so that's it's kind of some big brain stuff right there. I like it. Yeah, that's not bad. But yeah, aside from that, uh, nothing too out of the ordinary here in the top cut. Uh, I will say the only the only other thing I'll really bring mention to is uh, Christian Tuomi's Mew list in seventh place is uh, actually the new variant of Mew that's been running around that uh, foregoes all the Fusion Strike support. So no Elisa Sparkle, no Meloetta, no Fusion Strike energy, and instead just goes four double turbo energy and uh, a couple more supporters and just goes turbo. So it's kind of cool. He's playing a copy of Path? What? <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting choice. I missed this earlier. Holy crap. I mean, I guess it's like whatever, I guess. Like if you get two energy on the board and don't need to dig for anything else, I guess you just path and disrupt the... Maybe it's really good in mirror. I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of interesting. I'd, 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 I'd be interested to see how that how that turned out. Maybe we'll go back to the Bill Bow stream and see if he ended up on stream anywhere. Interesting. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's a thing. So that's the results we have for special event Bilbao. Again, nothing too crazy. Pogo format at its finest. So let's go ahead and take a look at the very last tournament to be held in this format. Baltimore Regionals. I was there. It was a good time for the most part. Eighth place, we have Jack Moore. Playing Miltank Morpico Control. That's a fun one. We'll get into that. <laughs> Seventh place, Joey Rudiger playing Mew Genesect. Nicholas Moffat playing Charizard Inteleon. Jeremy Gumila playing Mew Genesect. Makani Tran playing Ice Rider Palkia. Drew Kennett playing Regibox. Isaac Miloski playing Mew Genesect. And uh, first place, Winner of the Baltimore Regionals, Piper Lapine, playing Charizard Inteleon. We got a little bit to break down here. Josh, have you seen this Morpico more deck? Yeah, I've seen it. I, I saw some people talk about it on Twitter, like, throughout the weekend. Uh, like, you know, some people were, like, updating their threads, like, oh, lost a Morpico Miltank control. And then the replies is just like, you lost to what? <laughs> like, like nobody knew what this was. So, you know, Miltank is pretty standard. We, all, we, I think we all know what Miltank does at this point. Has the Miracle Body ability. Prevent all damage done to this Pokemon by attacks from your opponent's Pokemon V. It runs a whole playset of it. This card is very annoying and difficult to get around sometimes. But the other half of the deck is Morpico from Rebel Clash. For one colorless energy has the attack Torment. Deals 20 damage. And you get to choose one of your opponent's active Pokemon's attacks. And during your opponent's next turn, that Pokemon cannot use that attack. And this is really interesting. Because a lot of the best decks in the game right now, their attackers only have one attack. Mm -hmm. Arceus only has Trinity Nova. 
Pikachu only has Max Balloon. Palkia only has Subspace Swell. A lot of times, I feel like you could get away with just tormenting Cross Fusion Strike against Mew and basically being okay. Mm-hmm. There is a lot going on here, honestly. <laughs> so this a little more Pico actually puts in a lot of work. And, you know, of course, you know, if you move that Pokemon to the bench, that effect goes away and you can attack with a different Pokemon, of course. But that's why we're also playing Galar Mine in the list and all that kind of fun stuff. Of course, Crushing Hammer, any Veltals to get rid of energy. Uh, interestingly, I have the Astral Radiance Regilecki with its electromagnetic sonar attack for one colorless energy to put a trainer card from the discard pile into your hand. Uh, can be useful while you trap something in the active under Galar Mine or something like that. And seeing as how the deck is all basic one-prizers, we also have a copy of Ditto from Pokemon Go. Its sudden transformation ability can copy the attack of any Pokemon, uh, or rather any basic non-rulebox Pokemon in the discard pile. So the Ditto can basically be whatever you need it to be. Route for damage, Torment for control, Cry of Destruction to get rid of energy, Electromagnetic Sonar to get things out of the discard. The Ditto can do it all. So, this deck is is the massive brain, <laughs> and I kind of wish Pogo format was sticking around a little bit longer so I could try it. Because from yeah. what I from what I understand, this isn't particularly great next format. Anyway, super creative list coming from Jack Moore there. A couple other things I want to note. Uh, all of the Mew VMAX players in Top Cut were playing the Double Turbo Energy variant of Mew, so no Fusion Strike shenanigans to be had here. Uh, for what they are, they're pretty standard. Um, none of them, I don't think, are playing Path. I feel like I have to double-check that now. Yeah, none of them had the gall to play Path. So, <laughs> so while we're on the topic of this, actually... Because uh, I don't think we've talked much about it. Josh, what are your thoughts on the Turbo, uh, Double Turbo Mew deck? Eh, I don't care about it too much, to be honest with you. Not a fan? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. I, just, uh, uh, I feel like if you're going to play Mew, you're better off doing what Mew does best than trying to force it to do something else. That's fair. Um, I have played this variant of the deck, and I've also tested against it as part of like my preparation for Baltimore. Uh, the deck works; it functions; it's very good. Like, you know, what it trades in getting rid of like the power and like the fusion strike stuff, it trades for a little bit of extra consistency, uh, and I guess technically slightly more disruption because you have room to play like Avery's and Marnie's. You know, stuff like that without it hurting you too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and the list can go, right? Because then you can afford to run, like, Trekking Shoes and Pokestop without worry of, like, ditching, you know, Fusion Strike Energies and stuff, which is, like, the problem with running those cards in yeah. the standard Mew variant. So the deck is is very solid. It's very good. But I do agree with you. I'm not a fan of this over the Fusion Strike Mew because I think this list... What I've discovered in my testing is that this variant of Mew is a lot easier to exploit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you lose all of your advantage going second. So if you lose the coin flip, you're like every other deck in format. Where you're like... 
oh god, I hope I survive this turn. Or, like, I hope I don't, you know, get just absolutely wrecked before I can evolve, you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah. It puts Mew in that position where previously it never had to worry. Because if like, oh, I lost a coin flip? Alright, cool, I'm just going to deal 210 damage with Mellow at a turn one anyway. Or at least have a good shot at doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, and it also struggles in certain matchups. Because you're running less energy. So energy denial hurts a lot more in this list than it does in the Fusion Strike build. Mm-hmm. Of course, I mean, of course you have Silene to get the energy back, so it's not the end of the world, but it's still kind of rough. On top of that, you practically auto-lose to Teraladon because you... I, I don't suppose you auto-lose necessarily because you can still cross-Fusion Strike to copy Max Miracle to hit through it, but you're just not dealing the damage you need to in my opinion. So, Duraladon's kind of rough. Energy Denial's kind of rough. Your turn one going second is kind of... Eh. It's just, I don't know, all those kinds of things are unappealing to me, despite yeah. the fact that the deck is very consistent and not as high rolly as the Fusion Strike build. Uh, I would rather not leave those factors up to chance, in my opinion. No, I definitely agree with you, honestly. It's just... Like, it's not bad at all. It's just, I don't know. It, it just doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, it's like it's like one of those things, like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type deal. You yeah. yeah. Now it's, it's just, I don't know, I don't see the point of it, I guess, is what I, it's the easiest way for me to explain it. And, and that's <laughs> fair. I've, I've discussed it with other, with other players, and I've, I've heard that opinion as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I can see the merits to it, um... You know, if you can get the meta call just right and be like, okay, I'm not going to have to worry about Duraludon or I'm not going to have to worry about all these decks that might cause me grief with this variant of the build, then it's like, yeah, go for it, sure. And Baltimore was one of those events, as you can see. Three of them made top cut. Mm -hmm. Um, But you kind of have to make that meta call. And it is cool that we have a drastically wild, different variant of Mew instead of just the you know, the 1% spice that we've been talking about since it came out. Yeah. So it's really cool that there's this different variant, but yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. I'm not particularly a fan of this list, but I do understand why it's here in the top cut. I understand why it's why it's very strong. Yeah, most definitely. Now, one last thing I wanted to... Well, actually, there's, there's two things. I want to talk about Drew Kennett's Regibox list. He's got an interesting lineup here. Uh, you know, normally you see two, 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 two Reggie or like across the board. Maybe run three Lecky or three of whatever Reggie you feel is most important. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drew has taken an interesting approach here. He's got three Reggie Lecky, three Reggie Drago, and one Reggie Steel. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. I remember seeing the list on Twitter after the event was done, like, you know, as I was flying back home. This is like a massive brain kind of move. Because you've played Reggie's. You know, Josh. Registeel is practically useless. Pretty much. Like, even hitting for weakness and with a belt, it doesn't Oko Ice Rider VMAX. Like... The the only thing this card is good for is KOing Mew V or flying Pikachu V and nothing else. 
So, the idea behind running one is that because it's so useless, people are very rarely going to boss target it or whatever, right? They're very rarely going to go after it. Yeah, it's it's one of the last Reggies that you even have on your mind of, of like being worried about. Exactly. Like the only reason like you would like boss up the Reggie Steel to knock it out is if you look through your opponent's discard and said, Oh, there's a Reggie Steel in there. There's a high likely chance that he's not playing more than two. Let me boss KO this so I force him to find ordinary rod next turn. But the thing is about this is if the Reggie Steel is on the board and you look through the Discord pile. You're not ever going to see another Registeel in there, so you're just going to assume that it's in the deck, it's in the prizes, it's in his hand, it's somewhere else, but knocking out that Registeel is not going to help because they'll just quickball and find the other one that you think is there that actually isn't. <laughs> yep. Of course, the downside to this scenario is if your opponent knows that you only run one Reggie, they're obviously going to target it. Exactly, yeah, and that was something uh, That was something he said on, on Twitter they say, yeah, no, they just never notice, and if they do, you lose. Yep. <laughs> Which is so funny to me, but... Wait, it I, don't a... think it's... I think you could get away with playing even, like, a best-of-three match with someone without them ever finding out, honestly. If you oh, play yeah. the game right. 100%. And, I mean, it worked out. He got top cut, so... It definitely worked out for him. Uh, also, on top of that... Um... You know, you do have the awkward scenario of, like, maybe it's prized. And then you have to, like, hope you find your Hisuian Heavy Ball. Yeah. But, of course, you might also end up in a scenario where the Registeel and the one of Hisuian Heavy Ball is prized. Of course. In which, if that happens, you just auto-lose. You Like, you have to scoop if that happens. But <laughs> Which is why I'm surprised he's only running one Hisuian Heavy Ball. But, hey, I didn't get top cut, so... What do I know? True. I just thought that was really interesting. You know, the, you know the mind games. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good choice, I think, and it's kind of the thing that won't come back to haunt you. Except if he probably like takes this list to the next tournament, everyone's gonna assume he's running one Reggie Steel. You know. See, that's where you flip the switch on him and just start running two or three, even. <laughs> yeah. Just to troll yeah. people for trying. Yeah. <laughs> But that's neither here nor there. I'm excited to see the Registeel mind games moving forward. Thanks, Drew. <laughs> now, the last list I want to talk about is Piper's uh, Charizard and Teleon list. Uh, I believe we mentioned this briefly when Pokemon Go had just come out. That people were experimenting with just a Radiant Charizard list with the Inteleon engine and that's it. And we weren't really sure if it was going to go anywhere. Like, everybody knew the deck was really good, but we weren't sure how good it was. Uh, now we know the deck is cracked. Uh, I believe Ross Cawthon, he placed very well with the list in the World Championships. Like, top 16, top 32, something like that. And that was kind of what opened everybody's eyes to be like, yo, this deck is a real contender. And... Uh, Piper showing it off like crazy, man. And if y'all haven't watched Baltimore Finals, go watch it. That is seriously the craziest. I have never seen somebody play so immaculately in my life. Like, Piper was playing out of her freaking mind. Because this deck is not easy to play. This is not an easy deck to pilot by any means whatsoever. But she played it perfectly. 
the entire time. So if you haven't watched Top Cut, go check out Top Cut. That's crazy. But essentially the idea of the deck is just like the old Hoopa Moltres of the day. You have the Inteleons as your main attacker, and you're just firing off Aqua Bullets as fast as you can. You know, accumulating chip damage for the Radiant Charizard to come in and clean up the board in the late game with its Combustion Blast attack for a Fire and 4 Colorless. Does 250 damage. Uh, of course, with the Excited Heart ability for each prize card your opponent takes, Combustion Blast's attack cost is reduced by 1 Colorless energy. So your opponent takes 4 prizes and then suddenly all you need is 1 Fire energy to start taking some big knockouts. So yeah, really cool deck. And again, I just, I, I can't get over how well she played it, so go check out the finals. Yeah, it's a very fun list to uh, play. I've been thinking about building this deck, because it is cool. It's a very cool deck. Yeah, me me and the guys I went to Baltimore with were all just like, yo, I'm going to build that deck. <laughs> like, like, I've got the Radiant Charizard, I can do it, and I, I might, honestly. But yeah, no, this is this is this list is cool. It's very good, obviously, but it is not for the faint of heart. So uh if you're wanting to play this, you have been warned. This deck is not very easy to play. You're you're gonna need to you're gonna need to put some reps in with it. But with that being said, I think we are ready to move on over to Singapore for the Singapore Regional League. Had 130 players. Uh this was actually a tournament that was allowed to use the Lost Origin format. Uh, so Singapore's on a bit of a different circuit than we are here internationally. Uh, in the top eight, we have Go Kai Zheng playing Arceus Giratina. Seventh, uh, Jiken Ho playing Mew Genesect. Haruki Okunishi playing Mew Genesect. Melvin Chan playing Arceus Giratina. Kang Yuzhen playing Giratina. Toshiyuki Isogai playing Kirum Palkia. Wang Wei Kit playing Mew Genesect and Tan Yong Xiang playing the Lost Zone box. Now we don't have all the deck lists for these yet, um, but for those of you that are going to Peoria or maybe skipped out on Baltimore or really looking to hit the ground running in the Lost Origin format, definitely check out these deck lists if you want a primer for what the format looks like. Um I think it's fairly standard stuff from what we've seen in, like, the online space. So if you're familiar with, like, the online tournaments, it, it's basically up there. Um, so I'd say check these out for yourselves because uh, it, it's kind of difficult to be like, oh, this is really different about the list in a brand new format because, like, these are brand new decks. We don't know what they're supposed to look like. I will say one thing I want to make note of is the... Uh, is uh, Wong Wei Kit's um, Eugenesect list is the double turbo variant. Uh, fairly standard, just running a copy of Lost City, most likely to deal with the Drapian Vs that are likely running around. Uh, but aside from that, yeah, this is all pretty standard stuff from what we've seen in online tournaments. Uh, the Lost Zone box that won the event is actually playing uh, not only the Astral Radiant Snorlax, which is insanely good, but also a Drapion V, Crabominable V, and Vivid Voltage Zeraora. So, you know, stepping outside the confines of what you might expect with Lost Zone Box, 
stepping away from heavy Cramorant, heavy Sableye, and uh, branching out a little bit to cover a lot of different types, a lot of different attackers. Uh, and some pretty smart ones too. Drapion to deal with v, uh, with Mew VMAX. Crabominable helps deal with Flying Pikachu as well as uh, Mewtwo V Union. So pretty interesting stuff there. Uh, Josh, you have a... Have, have you... I mean, I know you've probably looked more into Lost Origin than I have uh, with you wanting to build Giratina. Uh, is there anything that particularly stands out? Uh, no, not really. It's a... Uh... I don't know. There isn't anything really crazy to me here. This all kind of looks within expectations, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's just like I said, like the, the Lost Zone box is really branching away from like the Cramorant Sableyes. That's like the biggest thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, obviously it, it worked out. So uh, if you're interested in the Lost Zone box, maybe check out this list. Give it Give it some testing. Try it out. All right, Josh. One last tournament. Are you ready to are you ready to bring this all home? Oh, let's round it off. So we're not gonna spend too much time on this one, as this is a tournament that took place in Japan. This is the Yokohama Championship or the Champions League in Yokohama. Uh now one thing to note is that this is uh again with it being in Japan, not only are they using Lost Origin cards, but they are also using cards from their incandescent arcana set which is half of what we are expecting to see in Silver Tempest. So things like Serena and Superior V-Star, Mawile V-Star, you know, cards like those are legal over there. So this doesn't really give us a great reflection on our current format, but it is interesting to look at nonetheless. I've got two lists I want to talk about. Uh, well, let's give it three. Uh, we have the winner of the Senior Division, playing Mew VMAX. Uh, this is the Fusion Strike variant, and it's pretty standard. Uh, I think it's interesting that they've teched, they've decided to tech in Silene, which is fairly normal. You see that in Fusion Strike builds every now and again. And of course, the Lost City, which is a really good card in Mew VMAX. I find it interesting that they went with Trekking Shoes and Collapse Stadium as well. Uh, you know... Typically, we like to see like Rose Tower here to draw more cards, and I personally am not a fan of Trekking Shoes and Fusion Strike Mew. I, I get it why it's there, but personally, I'm not a fan. So, that's a thing. Of course, ended up working out because this is the Seniors Division Champion, so cool stuff there. But when we get to the Masters Division, uh, in the runner-up spot, we have... Uh, as Google Translate says, Lost Bullet, uh, which I believe is Google Translate mistranslating Lost Box. <laughs> uh, this is a different take on it. Uh, actually going, essentially going back to the heavy Cramorant, heavy Sableye. Also throwing in a Radiant Charizard as well. That way you have the higher damage output to deal with beefier V-Star and V-Max Pokemon. Um, the interesting thing is that this is actually going super, super heavy on Sableye, running three copies of the Sableye and two of the Cramorant, uh, which is a pretty interesting approach and actually helps out quite a bit uh, against very specific matchups. So pretty interesting stuff there. 
And I think my favorite thing to note about this, Josh, is that it's playing four scoop up net, three switch cart, four escape rope, and two air balloon. There is absolutely no worry whatsoever about switching between those cum phase. Yeah. And it's actually pretty crazy because, like, you know, with all that, in a single turn, you're you're more than likely getting, like, four, maybe even seven in one turn. If you're really lucky, you could actually potentially get seven cards in the Lost Zone on turn one. Which is a little scary. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. So if you're in the Lost Box, check this out. This is like... This is basically Turbo Lost Box, <laughs> is what I'm getting here. <laughs> of course, the Pokestop, too, to get those cards. Ooh, it's kind of spicy. I like this. Anyway, in the Masters Division, uh, we have Giratina V-Star. And uh, this list is fairly, fairly standard across the board. Uh, what I find interesting is... Well, one, we see the water energy so that you can Mirage Gate onto the Radiant Greninja in the deck. That's not too out of the ordinary. I've, I've seen quite a few lists do that. Radiant Greninja is absolutely insane. Uh, Moonlight Shuriken being able to snipe out Sobbles, Bidoofs, Comphase, uh, Sableyes. I mean, there's a lot of targets that Moonlight Shuriken can hit. So including the water energy to be able to attack with the Greninja is cracked. And of course, they're drawing cards and all that kind of good stuff. Um, you got, you know, you got the solid three-three Giratina line to be the beat stick against, uh, you know, most matchups. But you also have like this small, like one prize package in here. That way, you can trade favorably with one prize decks. So you've got the two Cramorant, the one Sableye, of course, the Greninja, like we talked about before. Uh, so it's kind of like this interesting half and half kind of deck, which I actually find really interesting. Also interesting to note about the list is the inclusion of Oranguru, so that you know one of the cards that you're uh, using off the flower selecting ability. I imagine this is kind of like an awkward way of getting rid of like extra battle VIP passes that you draw, like later in the game. Mm-hmm. That way, like, you can take the top card off off the top of your deck, and it's like, okay, that's a card you get to keep. Put a battle VIP pass on top of the deck, and then do flower selecting. That way you're guaranteed, okay, I get this card, and I throw away this useless card. That way flower selecting feels, like, way less bad. Mm -hmm. So that's actually kind of huge. That's kind of a big brain. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's pretty good. Only other thing that stands out to me in this list is uh, the Roxanne. I don't and I, I don't know if you've seen any, but I don't think I've seen Giratina lists play Roxanne. So it's an interesting draw supporter to go along with it in the late game. You know, if your opponent knocks out a Comfey and a Giratina or, you know, three one-prizers, you can just Luminion, find the Roxanne and potentially brick your opponent while you, you know, get back ahead. So interesting tech and it Again, I mean, this is this is the winner of the Masters Division, so it must have worked out. Yeah, it is a kind of an interesting list. Yeah, it's it's not an approach I've seen before. Like, it's, like I've seen Luminion in some lists, uh, and the Greninja, you know, that's water energy for the Greninja is not out of the ordinary at all. 
the Oranguru is really good, actually. I like the Oranguru the more I think about it. And the Roxanne seems really good as well. Though I feel like... I feel like if you're going to run Roxanne, I feel like it would also be worth to potentially find room for at least one, maybe two path in here. Just because, like, Mew is a matchup that Giratina can struggle with. So being able to just Roxanne path, I think, would be really good, but... Hey, I didn't. I didn't win the the Yokohama Championship, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, must have not have been that big of an issue, or you had like some way to get around that scenario if it happened. Yeah, absolutely. So, interesting deck list all around. Again, that was a five tournament weekend. I know that was a bit of a beefy new segment. You know, beefiest one we've had in a while, actually. Now that I think about it. Um. So yeah, lots to talk about, lots going on, and uh, you know, there's just more down the pipeline. But for now, let us know what you think. Hit us up on our Twitter at Damage Counter, Damage Counter Podcast at gmail.com if you prefer email. Lots of product, lots of tournaments. We are now, you know, really getting to the thick of the Lost Origin format. So hit us up. Let us know what you think about all our news stories. Now with our news segment out of the way, it is time. Pause for dramatic effect. To talk about our 60-card showcase. We've got Dialga V-Star. And this deck is pretty insane. I don't think I need you... I don't think I need to tell you that. But it is what it is. Josh, let's talk about it. Alright, this week for the 60-card showcase, we're covering uh, the list that I've been playing lately. Uh, Dialga v- V-Star. Now, I think everyone could knows about this for the most part if you're playing Pokemon. This is a decently popular list. It's seen like a solid amount of play. Yeah, solid amount of play. Very popular. Um, I think it would hit like... It's somewhere in the top 10 of usage rates in the Astral Radiance format at least. Um, very powerful deck. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so this is kind of this is a turbo list. If you you don't know what that means, turbo is just you're trying to get through your deck as fast as possible to get to the cards that you want or need. So this whole deck is built around thinning itself, and your primary goal is to thin yourself to get uh, Star Chronos off as fast as possible. Yeah, and for those unaware, Dialga V-Stars, V-Star Power, Star Chronos, for four metal energy and a colorless, you deal 220 damage, and you get to take an extra turn. Yeah. Which is insane. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. This deck struggles with kind of low damage. It's not too big of an issue, especially as uh, V-Max has become less and less popular. It's... uh. You're definitely not going to be one-shotting anybody, but stealing a whole extra turn from your opponent is uh, pretty deadly in of itself. Just in Pokemon, getting to take two turns is insane. Yeah, pretty deadly indeed. Um, especially because like how certain mechanics work on that extra turn. Um, one little fun fact that I love is that 
Uh, Raihan will actually work on the additional turn. Uh, if one of your Pokemon was knocked out, you can use Raihan the following turn. And if you star Kronos, you can use Raihan again on the next turn. <laughs> uh, because it says if a Pokemon was knocked out during your opponent's last turn. So, very funny stuff there. But anyway, funny little stuff by taking an extra turn there. But yeah, like Josh said, it's all about just blowing through your deck as fast as possible and setting up the star Kronos attack. And we do that by just drawing a lot, like a lot of cards. And one of the primary ways we do that is a combination of Trekking Shoes, Radiant Greninja, and Crobat. Between those cards and your supporter, plus a few like extra tech cards, you, I mean, you can like blow through your deck pretty, pretty good. With proper sequencing, you can get through like half of your deck in a turn. Like it's, it's pretty insane how crazy this deck can be. Yeah, uh, definitely you can draw through half your deck in a single turn, and that's exactly what you want to do with this list. Uh, Dialga, it like shines best the faster that you can get it off. So the quicker you take your second turn, the uh, the more likely you are to win the game. Basically, like if you if it's like turn five or six before you're getting Star Chronos off, you're not getting nearly as much value than if you can get it like turn two or three. Like that's a big deal of trying to get Star Chronos off as fast as you possibly can. Right, yeah, because if you, you know, in the early in the early turns, you're more likely to land Star Kronos on a Pokemon V before it evolves. Um, yeah. So, and that's that's like really what you want is that if you can get a knockout with the Star Kronos and take like two prizes off of it, that puts you in like such a ridiculously good spot. And while, yeah, late, like. In the later turns, that becomes a little bit more difficult. We do actually have tools to kind of help us get there. Because um, you do have Cross Switcher. So, you, you you know, you'll be able to gust a Crobat into the active if you happen to miss any of the evolving Vs in the early game. Uh, but you also have... Uh, what, I, what I really like about the combo is Avery. I think Avery is sick. Because ideally, you get the Star Kronos set up really, really fast. You play Avery to force your opponent to discard uh, their bench Pokemon until they have three, which gives them fewer options of you know fewer options of Pokemon to stare down the Dialga. And then you cross switcher the prime like the best target into the active, hit it with Star Kronos. And if you take a knockout, it's even better because now your opponent only has three Pokemon left in play and fewer options to promote after the Star Kronos to deal with the Dialga, who is likely going to attach another energy and then deal somewhere from 240 to 280 damage. Like, it's absurd. Yeah, that's what what a Dialga's base strengths is the pressure you put on your opponent. It's this deck moves so fast and the benefit of like Avery being able to mess with your opponent's backline uh is very powerful combo. Like that two turns, you can do a lot. You can completely uh mess up your opponent's board in two turns, you know? Yeah, it's just like blowing through your deck 
in a few turns and then just leaving like a wake of destruction behind it, which is hilarious to think about. But uh, yeah, no, it, it's absolutely wild. And the, you know, the, the big thing behind that is that like that prevents your opponent from just going, okay, I'll promote this one prizer to, to weather the storm and hope that I don't get gusted. Right. So like that, you know, it's kind of the idea behind the Avery's to prevent things like that. But yeah, no, the wombo combo is ridiculous, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, are there any... In the, the list we have here today, which, by the way, there is a link to a Google Drive folder in the episode description. If you'd like to follow along, you can click on that link and check out every deck list we have covered here on the show. I should really get in the habit of saying that before we start talking about the deck. But either way, if you'd like to follow along and take a look at the deck list that we are referencing... Uh, you can click on that Google Drive and follow along with us if you like. Now, Josh, uh, this is this is Josh's list. This is uh, what you've been playing recently. Are there like any specific uh, Pokemon or specific tech cards in here that you want to like highlight uh, for for the showcase? Uh, I mean, I run the Agaslash V to deal with Miltank. That's a card that I. I mean, I've seen a couple other lists run, but not always people run, so... I do think that is worth giving the one-of slot for, most definitely. It's uh, it's very hard. Like, if you run into that matchup without that card, you're, you're gonna lose, almost guaranteed. I, like, it's very hard to do enough with Dialga to take the game without them being able to get that Miltank stuck in the active with nothing you can do about it. So, I think that card's very much worth running... Especially because, like, it doesn't even, uh, it doesn't hurt at all to have it in there besides, because it's a great backup attacker, honestly. Like, it's very good if your Dialgas are offline or targeted. I've had to close out a game or two with the Agaslash, just swing in for, uh, 130. It's not a lot of damage, but it'll make do. And then, I mean, I run these, uh, Pyuku, Mewku, which, Pitch a Puke, as we call it here. Very good card, I think. Just whenever you get it in your hand, you get to send it away and get a new card. It's great, yeah. especially in a deck like Dialga, because uh, I've actually run across my uh, puke like multiple times in one turn. Oh, dude, it's it's, the it, best. it sucks that you can't use it again. It'd be yeah, so it, great if you could just keep going with it. Yeah, you can only use the ability once per turn, but that extra card uh, ends up being pretty helpful a lot of the time. So, yeah, I, yeah. I love I love Puku Muku so much. I mean, the big. I also run Zacian V for a uh, Intrepid Sword. Very good early game if you get a Zacian out on your bench because, like, a first turn and potentially maybe like a second turn that's winded down where you can't do anything. Uh, an Intrepid Sword's an amazing like thing to happen. Yeah, and Just, Intrepid Sword is is really good to end your turn on. Another thing about the Zacian V, and I think a lot of people don't talk about this, um, is that if you end up going second and your opponent fails to uh, bench another Pokemon so that they, they only have the active, you can just say, forget the Dialga, go turbo and try to set up the Zacian instead and go for the Donk. Because, you know, three Metal Energy isn't too hard to get into play when you're drawing this many cards. So you set up the Zacian... And then just go, yeah, Brave Blade for knockout and just win the game right there because 230 is absurd. <laughs> All 
I mean, it's such a phenomenal card in this uh, yeah. in this deck. He he's the much better backup attacker. He's the much more reliable one that you'll uh, want to use nine times out of ten. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Besides that specific scenario, but yeah, uh, Zaytia. There was a, there was a game that me and you played the last time we played together where uh, I I scared the crap out of you because like two thirds of the way through the game, I just intrepid sword and then suddenly had a full powered Zaytia on my bench along with my Tihalka. <laughs> So it's it's very scary how fast it can be set up. Oh yeah, and that's you know that's where our that's where our damage counter spicy tech comes in. We got that energy recycler. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so one of the things I noticed while I was playing was uh, very much towards end game. This deck definitely runs out of steam, and I ran into like scenarios where I just I just needed like more energy to close out the game, and I also just needed more time. So energy cycler is great because it gives me uh, energy back, but it also puts cards back into my deck that after I've turbo throughed and done whatever I want to, I like it. It's just enough it's to help thin. you survive. Yeah, you're usually very thin, so this this can help keep you alive and in the game in like a scenario where you you would definitely decked out. And it also just sometimes you need more energy, so you can get energy back. It's a good all. It's a very good all around card, and I think it's definitely worth running in this list. Yeah, and it kind of gives you a fail safe, in my opinion, to one of Dialga's biggest weaknesses. Uh, very similar to Senescorch V Max from back in the day. the 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 idea that you're like committing so much energy to this Pokemon means that if it gets knocked out before or after the Star Chronos combo, like chances are you're going to struggle big time mm -hmm. to set something else back up to to close out the game so that was kind of the idea behind the energy recycler is like okay well let's yeah. put energy back in the deck that way we can try to potentially power up zation in the late game if the dialga goes down yeah and uh so far it's worked so so far it was definitely a right move uh i also like i tucked in a single energy search into my list just because sometimes like you just need that, like, if you just need that one energy to Star Chronos, or you just need one energy in general, I think it's worth having that there in a deck like this. Just because, like, this deck, it's, like I said, you need to get Dialga off fast, so you, you just need to be trying to do everything you can, so I actually get a lot of use out of running that one energy search. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially. Definitely a really good card in the yeah. list. Especially with Radiant Greninja, which I don't think we've really talked about yet. This, this is like your real bread and butter. This is how you're going to burn through your yeah. whole deck in one turn and make yeah. your opponent... Uh, when you're 10 minutes into your turn still going and your opponent's looking at your watch, it's, it's going to be because of Greninja. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really a Greninja engine. I mean, Mew's there, Crobat's there, Trekking Shoes are there. It's really Greninja. <laughs> mm -hmm. Everything there is to help the Greninja. So bas the basic combo is, is you run uh, four scoop-up nets... Because, yeah, you run four scoop-up nets, and you just want to pick that Greninja up and put it back down and use uh, concealed cards as many times in one turn as you can. And you can do it a lot. <laughs> you can do it quite a bit. Especially with the supporting cards, like drawing into Trekking Shoes, the Puke, you know. You got uh, Training Court to get energy back into your hand as you're discarding it, so you can even feasibly use Greninja five times in one turn, like, it's very possible that you could get it off, because it's not that hard to get the scoop-up nets and energies to do it. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, 
yeah, the the turns will be long if the cards are flowing in the right order. And Greninja just, man, Greninja just goes. But it's also really synergistic with the deck because, you know, we want to be throwing Metal Energy in the discard pile so that we can accelerate it into play with Metal Saucer. So being able to discard an energy, draw two yeah. cards, and set up the Metal Saucer, I mean, Greninja is just insane. Yeah, it's it's very good because if the deck's working right, like Phelan says, as you're, like, discarding these energy using concealed cards... You're going to be drawing into these metal saucers, uh, attaching them to using them to attach those energy to your Dialga. So that's like that's how you get your Dialga built up. Basically, that's how you want to go about it. It's just that's what you're turboing for. Basically, is the energies and the metal saucers, and then whatever other tech pieces that you're missing. So, one of the other last really tech cards I want to cover here that we put in was uh, Phelan and I talked about it for a while and decided running a one of of Palpad was definitely worth it, and I believe it. I definitely believe it is. Yeah, because the the build we have today is pretty light on supporters. It's only got the two Avery, one Raihan, two Boss. Uh, so essentially, what Palpad allows is that you know in the early game where we maybe don't or where Raihan's not set up, or where we don't need boss, we can pitch them with Quick Ball and Ultra Ball within our hand, and then recycle them with Palpath later. Same goes for Avery. We can use Avery to just draw three, knowing that we can Palpad Avery back in to set up the combo later. It, it, it's quite versatile. It's quite it's quite an interesting pick, but it, it's, it's ended up being really good. Yeah, definitely. It's a... Uh... I think it's a pretty solid list. Uh, there, there's a lot of nuances that comes with playing Dialga, in that you're having to like work your opponent's board in a little bit more ways than some other lists, just because, you're, I mean, your main attack hits for 220 with Star Chronos, so you're definitely not one-shotting anything. So math matters a lot with this stack. Like Phelan said, you want to get stuff set up, so if the Dialga goes down, you have Zacian, that he could come out and take some one-shots on stuff. It's a, it's a very fun list. I will say, there's it feels really good uh, when you reach across the table and flip that coin while you're saying Star Chronos, <laughs> just staring at your opponent, and you just watch them deflate because they just watched you uh, take like a 15 minute turn, and they know they're in for probably at least another like five minute turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is, the turn just keeps going. Yeah. Is there anything else you really want to hit on? No, I think we hit all the major beats. Um, there are a couple different variations you can do to the list. I will say in the Lost Origin format, you could run a list just like this and it's going to be perfectly valid. Um, the typical Turbo Dialgo lists are still quite good in Lost Origin. so Because we built this before Lost Origin came out, but it still can very much function like this in that format. Uh, just recently, off of the Baltimore Regionals, Xander Pero had an interesting tech in his Dialga list. He was playing a 1-1 Bayonet from Vivid Voltage. That is, yeah, which that is really smart. I do like that. Yeah, that allows you to de-evolve your opponent's active Pokemon back to its Pokemon V so that you could basically guarantee take a knockout with Star Chronos, uh, which is, you know, it's pretty spicy, so... Good stuff there. Um, and you can also build this with the Lost Engine. I've seen a few people do that in some online tournaments. So if you want to go that route, that's an approach as well. Again, like 
that might have been something we experimented with for the segment, but you know, we built this before Lost Origin came out, so it was a little weird. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. I mean, all in all, it is a fun list. I will say one of the nice things about it is, uh, unless you run across one of those rare people playing uh, Charizard, uh, nobody's going to hit you for weakness. So oh, yeah. you're you're pretty safe. Yeah, you, you don't have to worry about that. about that. You don't really have to worry about being one-shotted too badly. Uh, Dialga's 280 HP. He's pretty tanky in the format right now. Yeah, so he's, could, he's big. You can always get at least one trade-off. Uh, did we really? I mean, I guess we don't need to too much. I don't think we really talked about the Mew, but I think people probably know about Mysterious Tale and how that worked. If, I mean, yeah. if not, I guess, really quickly. Uh, so one of the other big things you do with this deck is use the uh, Pokemon Celebrations Mew. Well, that has Mysterious Tail. You want to go over what Mysterious Tail does real quick? Yeah, so it has the Mysterious Tail ability. As long as it's in the active spot, you look at the top six cards of your deck, and you may add an item card you find there to your hand. This is really good because it's going to help you find scoop-up nets, cross-switchers, trekking shoes. I mean, it's it'll find you basically 90% Anything. of your deck. Yeah, it's really good at getting making sure you get what you need uh, before you probably start burning through cards with like trekking shoes and stuff like that. It's just uh, it's a way to go ahead and get ahead, or it can give you an out in certain scenarios. If you're stuck, you can use it. Maybe you'll get lucky and get like the quick ball you need to get a crowbat, or you get the trekking shoes just to dig a little bit deeper. But the, the whole thing is is you just you want to rotate the mew around from your active. So like you have the air balloon, so you attach air balloon to it, and you want to try to like get it in active, use Mysterious Tail, and then maneuver it out when you get a chance. It's a... I think a pretty... It's a decently common strategy. I think a lot of people have uh, seen Mysterious Tail by now. It's been used in a couple decks. Yeah, it, it is pretty... Uh, it is a pretty essential core to the strategy. Because um, it, it, it just does enable you to find more cards when you're starting to run out of cards. But it also is the perfect card to just sit in the active... While you power up Dialga. Because if you don't get it powered up, then like you just let it sit in the active. If your opponent takes a knockout on it, then hey, you yeah. that, that gives you the out to Raihan next turn. So Yeah. You you run four of these that are one prizer. Uh definitely like this card this is the card that should always be in your active spot until you're ready to attack and mm-hmm. go on the offensive. Literally the only card that yeah. you have to, to do that with, basically. Absolutely. Well, I think that'll do it for Dialga V-Star. Just an absolutely wild deck. Uh, you know, I remember when this card came out, man, I saw that attack cost. I saw, man, taking an extra turn is cool, but I don't think we can get there. And I'm glad, I'm glad the metagame has proven me wrong because this deck is sick. <laughs> yeah, if, if like, so the reason I kind of decided to start playing this list was I was tired of top like playing top meta decks. Uh, it's mostly what I have. It's mostly what ends up being built. It's it's usually just what attracts me is a, a good deck because obviously you want to have fun when you're playing the game and a lot of the time fun decks are good. Not all the time. There's definitely decks that uh, are a lot of fun, but you're like yo. Know, this deck's trash, but I'm having so much fun right now. You know, that definitely does happen. But I got tired of, like, playing a deck that was the target of everybody. Uh, I was feeling kind of, like, uninspired because I was waiting on Giratina. So I made the decision to build this deck. And let me tell you, it has been a lot of fun just chilling, playing Dialga. Just 
uh, not worried about, like, I don't have to worry about flying Pikachu or anything, or I already know people are targeted by decks. It's like, nah, no one's really looking out for Dialga, so when we meet up, it's, uh, it's gonna be a pretty fun match, because I doubt they have anything specifically to try to put me in the hole with. Yeah, just, just sitting there, taking your 15-minute turn, and then doing it again. Yep, yep. So Good, this good times for uh, by all. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's definitely not like one of the top decks right now it's not bad i think the last i looked it was like sitting at 11th place which is very respectable it, it's definitely so. something people consider when preparing for tournaments but it isn't like at the top of anybody's list yeah so it's a cool list not very expensive to build either that i'll go unless you're going for the alt arts it's a uh, pretty cheap and that's the, really the only expensive card in the list yeah the yeah the dialgas really are the most expensive cards in the list everything else is like whatever yeah. But yeah, I think we've uh, wrapped this one up pretty nicely. Yeah, Dialga V Star. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think at Damage Counter. Hit us up on email, damagecounterpodcast at gmail.com if you prefer that. Let us know what you think of Dialga V Star. Are you playing it? Are you planning on playing it for the Lost Origin format? Hit us up. Let us know. Now we get on here and we talk about a deck. Every single episode. And I'm a little surprised we hadn't done this sooner. But we figured it would be, you know, better late than never. It would be a good idea for us in our main discussion for this episode to talk about our approaches to deck building. Because this is a trading card game. And you can't really play the game without building a deck. So... We thought for this episode it would be a great time, especially with a new uh, with a new set having just released, that we thought it would be a great time for us to outline how we approach deck building for the Pokemon trading card game. So, Josh, let's go ahead and get into it. Okay, so, deck building. This is a pretty big, like, this, this is such a broad thing to talk about. It was a little weird. And I think you and I discussed this when we were talking about what our discussion this week should be. Um, you know, you were like, oh, let's talk about our deck building process. And I was like, well, I've been thinking about that, but how do you even begin to discuss something like this? I mean, Pokemon is a pretty deep game. I mean, really any trading card game is. And I mean, you could go on and on and on about deck building theory. So it was kind of a daunting you know, discussion for us to have, but figured we, we would take the shot at it this go around. So that's what we got. So this is our approach to deck building. Now, everybody has different processes for this and um, your approach to deck building might be different depending on the goals you have in the game. If you're a competitive player, you might have different goals than somebody who just wants to take their favorite Pokemon to a local and things like that. So uh, since this is such a broad topic, let's not waste any time. Uh, Josh, what is your process for deck building? All right. So I'm going to kind of break this into two like broader categories for us, Phelan, to go down through, I think. Okay. So we'll do half of this. Uh, the part I want to kind of focus on more is uh, just how we handle deck building from scratch when you actually are trying to build a deck. But I also want to touch on the net like net deck building aspect because I know for me and for you too, 
net decking doesn't just stop them from ripping a 60 card and going about our way for us. We usually, our net decking is a little more involved than that. So I do want to touch on how to kind of handle that too. Because I do think it's important, even if you are primarily a net decker, uh, Pokemon's meta is by far the fastest shifting of like the three big card games. Like this is the game where you can have a regional and then four days later have another regional. And the meta is somehow different four days later at that regional when a new product hasn't even come out or anything like that. <laughs> Yeah, that's, po that's Pokemon a... players are crazy metagamers, man. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I think we'll start with the net decking aspect, since that one's a little, I guess, easier to broach. Uh, so, obviously, we all know what net decking is, if you're a card game player. It's uh, something, I guess, that is fairly newer, because card games have been around a lot longer than the internet has. Yeah. And... <laughs> This you used to not be able to do this. You know, you used to you couldn't go and just get on the internet, uh, look up what's winning right now, and be like, all right, I'm gonna play that, and just take like a proven winning sixty card list. So, yeah, best you would but, usually get is like some guy being like, oh, I swear this is the list that won on a forum post, and then you try it, and you're like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, or uh, someone that like topped a regional or something does happen to uh, like take a picture of their 60 card and post it. Yeah. Or they're right out their list. But that, that was a lot rarer back then. These days, you can just about uh, any kind of deck that you want to play, type in that name on Google with next to like deck lists and find a functional 60 card list to play. But if you're more of a competitive player, uh, like we said, it's a little more involved than that. When you take a net deck of 60 card list, you still. I always want to look into, like, the current meta, what's the meta around me, like, is there anything in this list that I personally don't think is good, and I think there's a better option, because just because you net deck a list does not mean that you're just stuck with that 60 card list and this is what you need to play. Uh, you, you do still, you can change whatever you want in that list, and that's something I always make a point to do, just because I feel like... Uh, there, there does need to be your personal touch to a 60 card. Otherwise, it doesn't ever feel like you're deck in a way. Does that make sense to you, Phelan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, and it's one thing, and I've said this on the podcast before, I try not to net deck whenever possible, um, but, you know, the, the convenience of it is there. But, yeah, I always urge people to, to tr you know, if you're going to take inspiration from a list online... Try to make it your own in some shape, form, or fashion. Uh, yeah. Because the the biggest thing for me is that if you net deck and you just take the exact 60, that can be good for testing to see why it works. But in the same vein, you know, you're not really going to understand why that player came to those or to those decisions without like having discussed it with them, right? So I've had a lot of scenarios where I've just picked up a 60 just to try a deck once on PTCGO because I was feeling different. And I'm like, I don't know why this card is here. This card seems useless. And like, you know, going through it. But the more and more I play, like, oh, I see. I understand the decision. Right? You know what I mean? Like, it, it's it's hard to put yourself in the shoes of the other player that built it. Yeah. And understand why they came to those decisions and how. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. That's also what I kind of mean by making it your own is you have to like understand the list and to be able to play it. Like just because you sit down with a proven winning deck list uh, does not at all mean that you're going to like be able to pilot that deck well. And I think a big thing about it is making sure the deck is comfortable for you to play. And if that means changing up some cards or for like 
teching into a, making sure you're teched in for a matchup that you're weaker against, that uh, you don't play as well into, usually. Uh, that's not a bad thing at all to do. And it also is, like you said, sometimes you can't find out some crazy stuff from net decking a 60-card list because you're like, I don't even understand how this works. And taking that and playing it, and you get a whole new grasp on a deck, or you figure out how it works. So, I think net decking definitely has its uses. I do usually use it even when I get into uh, making a list from scratch. I do, if it's more of a competitive list, like something that I'm planning on taking to tournaments, uh, I want to net deck other lists like this. Sometimes I do it after I've done my 60 card list, which I'll talk about more later, I guess. I guess I can talk about that part. Usually when I like go to like net deck into a list for a deck that I want to play, it's after I've already made my 60 card, I look at net decks to uh, see how close I am to what other people are doing and to either reaffirm decisions I made or to help me question some decisions I made when I don't see, like, anybody else doing this and I'm kind of like, well, I wonder why no one else is worried about this. Or, like, why does no one else think this is a valid option? Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Um, and, and that's one thing. It's like, I, you know, I've used uh, online deck lists as kind of like a type of guideline thing too where it's like all right i'm putting it together i've got a cut you know i've got some space for some cards or i'm not sure about this count versus that count how many of this how many of that yeah you know let me take a look let me reference see what counts other people are trying and you know see if i can make something work from there type deal yeah which that uh that became a little bit more popular of an option with me with the podcast just because uh Y'all gotta remember, Phelan and I are basically always trying to put together a 60-card list every other week for the podcast. And that does add up, and sometimes we usually, we try, usually to, like, make our own 60 cards or whatnot, but sometimes <laughs> we just text each other and it's like, man, I just couldn't crack it, I just net-decked it this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if, if anybody that listened to our, uh, I don't, I don't remember what episode it was, but the episode we talked about Reggie Box in the 60-card showcase... I had to admit right there at the beginning of the segment, I was like, I tried to do it myself. I could not crack it. We're going to look at the list Josh took. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, do, it does be like that sometimes. So there's nothing wrong with that. And I do think net decking is powerful for like checking up on lists, like you said. After, like, after you have your 60 card made and you're playing it, you do still want to keep up with other people's 60 cards. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something I've done a lot, and I feel is why... Maybe not, maybe not this alone, but like kind of how I've been able to remain successful with Sylveon is that, you know, I, I, I've been playing the deck for, I kid you not, a year straight at this point. Evolving Skies came out a year ago. So I, I kind of know the beats to hit when I'm building it, but every now and again, especially, especially when new sets come out, I kind of stumble a little bit. So, you know, I'll see other people play it in online tournaments or Ty will go and just break the format with it or something like at whatever event he's playing in. So typically anytime I'm like struggling like that, I go, okay, this list worked in this online tournament or Ty piloted this and it worked very well. I'm going to copy the 60 and I'm going to see why this works. And, you know, you have to take... I'm not going to try to get too abstract here, but you kind of have to get a little bit more abstract with that. Like, yeah, you can take the 60 and you can play it and you can see how it works. And it probably goes without saying, but you need to also consider like, why was this card here? 
Yeah, what were they thinking? Why did they feel like they needed this? Like, you want to be thinking about things like that. Right, and I, I mean, it, and it goes down to every innocuous decision in the deck list. That one of card that just seems like it's there just because it works or that they had the extra space or whatever could be there for a very specific reason. It, you know, even down to like how many energy are they running? How many of what types of energy are they? Stuff like that. Like every little thing, especially if you're taking lists from like top players, especially every little thing is just like meticulously calculated so it helps to think of those things if you're looking at somebody else's list oh yeah definitely it's uh i mean it's kind of a give and take thing like you said and also like you just you don't ever want to assume that someone else like 60 card list is the definitive like 60 card what you need to be playing like always feel free to experiment and tune lists especially like i said as the format changes you're gonna have to be like tuning your decks i say at least probably at least once a month in pokemon usually you got to do a little bit of deck tuning to stay relevant with the current meta yeah uh because like you said like the meta just like changes between regionals without any releases whatsoever i mean i think the the clearest example of that was between uh, Brisbane Regionals in March of 2022, March of this year, um, and then Salt Lake City Regionals, which happened just a couple weeks later. You know, it was Mew and Arceus and Teleon and Arceus Duraludon everywhere. And then Salt Lake City comes around, you see Arceus Gengar, Desert Storm, Suicune, and like, you know, the meta shifts can be pretty, pretty drastic in the competitive scene. So... You know, those those are things you have to think of if you're, like, going to regionals and stuff. But yeah. at the same time, like, your goals really reflect, like, how often you have to think about stuff like that. Because if you're just building a deck you want to take to your locals and you just net deck a 60 off the list, cool. You grab the 60 and say, okay, well, I'm not building this for regionals. I'm not building this for tournaments. I am just building this to go play at my locals. So... You know, in that scenario, you'd probably be like, okay, here's the 60. Uh, you know, this, like this Aegis Lash in here is for Miltank. Well, nobody plays Miltank at my locals, so I'm going to take that out and put something better in there for what I, you know what I mean? Like, it all depends on on, on what or how, yeah. how deep you're going into the game, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely the level that you play at does, like, affect how your 60 card's going to be formatted. Uh that is something like you do want to consider like are you just playing at locals that you just need to worry about what everyone's bringing to locals uh are you wanting to play at like higher end tournaments that when you that's when you got to get broader and it gets a lot harder like Phelan uh could comment on this one of the things he said to me just from this last regional is he spent a lot of time practicing against uh what was it arc pika and then you didn't like run into any of them basically i i tested against a lot of palkia and a lot of ice oh, yeah, rider and didn't yep. see a single one <laughs> yep. Yep. i teched my deck for that those matchups specifically and it just didn't work out so you know a very very valid move and when Phelan was considering his deck building he was putting a lot of thought into that and but he was playing at such a broader level that uh he just happened to not run into it. <laughs> and you know what? I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because, you know, let's say you are a more competitive player. The size of the event actually does matter because, you know, if it's like, 
200, 300, maybe even 600 players. Like you could probably, you know, put your ear to the grapevine and say, okay, people are talking about this. This is really popular. I think if I build to counter this, I should be fine. And like, you, you, you know, you can rely on the fact that you're more than likely going to run into those decks. You're going to be able to counter them if your metagaming was on point. Well, when you get into events that are a thousand plus players, at that point, it, the field is so large that it becomes very difficult to metagame. Because while I built my deck specifically to deal with uh, Palkia, and I practiced to deal with Palkia Ice Rider and Flying Pikachu, you know, while I did all that, my metagaming was correct. There was a ton of Palkia at the event. There was a ton of Ice Rider at the event. But I just didn't run into any of them, right? So, you know, when you get to these events with the, with larger numbers of players and like the 1,000s plus, it you know, your, your deck building mentality should shift from, okay, what is going to be popular? What can I put in my deck to counter the popular decks? It should shift more to, okay, this is a deck I'm comfortable with. How can I make it as consistent as possible in as many matchups as possible? So it, it's these tiny little nuanced things that might affect how you should build the deck. It's kind of crazy when you get into it. It's, it's very deep. And uh, there's a lot of important decisions to make. So kind of going away from debt decking now, because I think we covered that decently well. Uh, so crafting a deck from scratch is... Some people, it's different for everybody. Some people think it's very hard. Uh, I don't think it's hard most of the time. It's, I know, I think you kind of agree with me there, Phelan. Like, some people, like, building their 60 cards, their worst part, like, their least favorite thing about a card game. It's, like, one of mine and Phelan's favorite things to do. And it's just a lot of fun. If you've never tried to build your own 60 card from scratch, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's, um... It's one of those interesting things, right? Because, uh, I mean, I, I've even got a, a couple friends at the locals where they either A, net deck a list, or B, they put something together and then heavily alter it after asking, like, me or somebody else for advice. Um, and and let, me, let me just say, like, outright, like, if, if, you know, we're making it, we're probably making it sound a little daunting, and like, we're trying, I, I'm trying my best not to. But if also, if you're just not, like, a seasoned deck builder, like, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, you can net deck, you can ask other people for assistance. Building solid decks in Pokemon TCG does take time to learn. Like, like you have to know what's going around in the meta. You have to know what's in standard. All that kind of good stuff. It takes time to develop those skills. So if you are, like going uh if you are going like full homebrew you built the 60 cards yourself you meticulously picked out every card with little to no outside interaction then like you need you need to sit down and realize that like hey i'm going to test version one of this deck and it on paper it's going to be cracked it's going to be insane but then you put it into practice, and then you start to see the cracks and the flaws. And you're going to have to go back to that drawing board several, several times. I mean, I'm on, like, version 23 of Sylveon at this point. So, if that's if that's of any indication. 
Yeah, I mean, multiple deck versions, if, when you're building a deck, that's something that you're probably going to have, if you're playing the game seriously. It depend, That depends on the level, too, but if you're a very competitive player, you're going to have a lot of versions, because, like you said, you can build a list on paper, and it looks so cracked, and in practice, it just uh, it doesn't work at all. There's just something you didn't consider, uh, something that doesn't mesh well with it, or it's just not as viable as a strategy as you thought it would be. So, like... Going back and editing your deck multiple times is a very common thing, and you should never like let that deter you that like you're doing something wrong. You're actually doing something right if you're doing that. Yeah, if you're able to find the flaws in your homebrew, then like, you know, that's that's a good thing, especially if you can find solutions to it. But, uh, <laughs> sometimes it can be a little daunting, right? You go, okay. I want to build this deck, and then you load, or at least, you know, if you're like me, you load up PTCGO, you know, my virtual playground for deck building, and then you see the menu, and it's empty, and you have this catalog of cards spanning two years, and you're just like, oh my god, where do I start, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I think it would be probably good for us to maybe touch on how we approach, like, a scratch build. Like yeah, what what we implement first? Do you want to do you want to start with your process? So yeah, so mine, I think I have unofficially named the cut down method. So what I do when I'm building a list from scratch, depending on what I'm making, is all the cards that I know for a hundred percent are going to be in the deck. The staples, all your staples. I start out with four fours of them, four fours of whatever mon that I want to base the deck around fours of like whatever balls that i'm running fours of whatever like trader cards i think i'm going to use usually like the researches and bosses and stuff like that mm -hmm. and then a default of 10 energy and from there i added the slightly more techie cards to the list or cards that i think would be useful and after i hit the 60 cards if there's more techie cards i think i need that's when i start cutting down on the four fours of everything in the deck and I start trimming to what I think are acceptable levels from those cards to add in the rest of what I need. And that's kind of like the very, uh, a very short, broad definition on how I go about building my 60-card deck. It's, I think it's very simple to me, because it's like, alright, the staples and everything that I know for sure I'm going to need, I'll start with a lot of copies of these. And then I can trim the ones down that aren't as important as I go along and find other cards that I think I need more. Yeah, I was uh, I was talking to a couple friends about deck building uh, while while we were on our way back from Baltimore, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a fairly common approach because um, my uh, Chris he was like he was like yeah dude all the staples they go in first because I know I need them I don't want to be you know thinking that I forgot you, them after the fact and then you just you don't like, want to be trying to make room for staples they, those should already be there so I think it's easiest just to get them out of the way first uh, I can I can speak from experience that that is a that is a painful process because it is one that I do quite frequently because my process is a little different <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to get go ahead and give a broad give us an idea of yours yeah, and you know what? I think this honestly like perfectly goes back to our playstyle conversation too. I th what was that episode two? Uh, this was fairly early on. Yeah, episode like two or three where we talked about playstyles. Uh, y'all know me. Y'all know I love having my fancy little spicy text. You know I love 
be in a toolbox for a bunch of different things. So the way the way I build my decks is probably going to come as no surprise. So what I do is I start with the core concept, essentially. So, for example, I built... Uh, this is going to be a little bit outdated, but I built uh, Ampharos V and Orbital VMAX back when that came out in Vivid Voltage. Ampharos V is a Pokemon that can deal like spread damage to all Pokemon with damage counters on it. Mm-hmm. So my approach is, okay, the, co- the core concept of the deck is I want to do spread with Ampharos. So I put Ampharos in the deck. I say, how do I get the damage counters on the bench Pokemon? I think Orbital VMAX is the best way to do that. I put Orbital in the deck. I'm like, okay, this is my core. So from there, I determine the support. So I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to draw cards? What engine do I need to use here? And how am I going to accelerate energy? So I think of that. So I've got the core concept. I think, okay, I need an engine. And I throw that in there. So in this case, it was uh, two Crobat and draw supporters. Pretty simple. And I need energy acceleration. Uh, So this was like uh, Flaffy. Mm -hmm. And then from there, so at this point, you know, I've got the Flaffies, I've got the Attackers, I've got the Orbeetles, I've got a draw engine with like two Crobats, uh, Researches, and Marnies. So at this point, I go, okay, let's put in the energy. My default energy is 12. I'm a baby when it comes to energy, Nothing makes me angrier than missing energy on turns that I desperately need it. And most of the decks I play run 12 anyway. So I usually default to 12 energy and then adjust as necessary. Uh, And then from there is when I start putting in the staples. So I get the core concept, the engine, and the energy acceleration, if applicable, out of the way. I put the energy in, and then it's like, okay... Quick balls, ultra balls, uh, boss, switch, you know, whatever I feel is necessary for the deck to function. And then with whatever space I have left, if any, that's where I that's where I start thinking. And it's like, okay, what can I put in here that's spicy? What's gonna what can I put in here that can give me an edge in a matchup? What can I put in here that could give me some kind of comeback potential? Things things of that nature. So it's, I don't know, it's 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 kind of similar in a way, but it just, like, does things in a different order, I guess, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's, a, it's I mean, it's pretty decently similar. It's, uh, I do think, like, as a court base, you want to always make sure staples and stuff are taken care of. You want to make sure that's out of the way. And so, I think it's important to pick out your staples, pick out, like, Pokemon's where I usually go to next after like after staples is you want to figure out your Pokemon list first and because you want the trainers and stuff to support that so you got to know what you're playing to what you need to support like well do I need to have air balloons to like move like uh, using Dialga for example since we still have it up I want the air balloon so I can need move my Mew around I want a uh, training court so I can be getting energy back because of how uh Radiant Greninja works, you know, those are those are decisions that are based because the Pokemon are already there, so definitely I think you want to get your core card settled, 
then you start with your Pokemon, and then that's when you start going into the trainer card, which is where a lot of your very techy stuff happens. So, I usually also look at the meta, because that's where your tech comes in. You gotta know what the meta is to know what to tech for, and there's no point in, like, you can't tech for everything, so you gotta... You gotta pick out your big monsters, like your big enemies that you like need to back up tech for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the format right now is just so open-ended. I mean, there's like no telling what you'll run into because there's a lot, and I mean a lot of viable decks out there. Um, so, you know, you have to <laughs> you have to quell what uh, we have jokingly called in our friend group the Phelan factor. You know, you got to quell the tech options just a little bit because, you know, along the line, you just have to accept that you're going to take an auto loss somewhere to something. Like like I said, the format's too open-ended, so don't don't get too spicy with your tech options. I know it's fun. I do it all the time. But, you, you know, you got you to gotta reel it back a little bit. Yeah, if you're, uh, if you're trying to fight everybody, you're going to very quickly realize that you're losing to everybody. Good. <laughs> Yeah, because then, then your deck is just a brick. Yeah, because if you're that teched out, your deck's probably pretty bricky by that point. So, it's very give and take on stuff like that. You, it, it's a lot to consider. It is. But it's really not that bad, I don't think. And that's I mean, that's where the versions comes in. Is you got to get your rough 60 made, and then you got to start playing it to refine like the refinement can't come until that like list is being actively played because you don't know where you need to refine at exactly yeah no i'm glad you mentioned that because you know i find myself a lot of times like trying to like perfectly create like the perfect 60 list that i that i want for the an event and i'm sitting here thinking i'm like well you know i want to try this but i think this might hurt my consistency or maybe i just won't hit that matchup or maybe the strategy just won't work the way i think it will eventually i just have to be like okay shut up sleeve it up and test it then yep. you will have the answer right so don't get don't get too caught up in the weeds on like is this worthwhile or not because that's time you could be using to test it so you could find that answer the big yeah the big thing you got to remember is and like what we always say is you could take it back out or you can put it back in so if you don't like what you did you can fix it. It's not a big deal at all, and that's just the easiest way for you to refine your deck, is to play it and figure out what's actually working and what's not working. Yeah, uh, if you want an example of that, um, while I was preparing for Baltimore, I uh, I was running initially like a 3-2 Arceus line, because I was like, I really want to start Arceus, just because, like, it's just the best starter Pokemon for the deck. Especially with, like, where it's at now. So I was like, okay, I'll play the 3-2 Arceus. And eventually, I don't fully remember what it was, but eventually I was like, I want to tech in this card. Or, like, you know, there was this tech card that I wanted to put in because I felt it might help me in a particular matchup. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll just take out the other Arceus. Or, the, you know, that third Arceus. I've played with a 2-2 Arceus for months now. It's been working fine. It'll just be a little awkward. Well, tested it out. The strategy didn't work, and I was a little less consistent. And my starts usually weren't very good. So I was like, okay, I tested it. It didn't work. 
So I'll take this back out, put the third Arceus back in. What's the next change I can look at to potentially make this better? So, I mean, it's it's all a process. Even if you've got to take it one at a time like that, like, it's all a process. You're going to have to play games to figure out what works and what doesn't. Yep. One little factor uh, I do want to touch on as well, uh, and this is probably a little bit more, like, I guess nuanced, but, like, really considering, especially in our current format, really considering, like, deck space and what that means for your deck. So, for example, like, I play Sylveon VMAX. A lot of Pokemon decks usually don't run 20 Pokemon. My deck does, because it has to. Like, the whole idea of it is to run a bunch of different types of Pokemon so Sylveon can deal big damage, and you can hit a bunch of things for weakness. You know, that's the whole concept. So, in a deck like this, where you have, like, a bunch of different tools and a bunch of different cards for various different scenarios, the last thing you want to do is start discarding a bunch of things, right? So... So for a deck like mine, Professor's Research is not the best supporter to use in the list. It You know, you could put it in there and it might work, but more often than not, you know, you would be discarding a bunch of pieces that you only run like one or two copies of because you just don't have the room, right? Yeah, too often it would just feel too bad to use the card. Yeah, so you need, like, you kind of have to look at your strategy and be like okay is this better off if i'm just like blowing through my deck constantly discarding my hand things like well maybe not like fully discarding but you know dropping cards from my hand consistently things like dialga v star rayquaza v max are perfect examples of that zoroark v star if you want a newer example or you know is it a slower pace more methodical deck where you want to slowly build a hand of resources like Arceus and Teleon or anything with the Lost Engine, where you're slowly building this massive hand of resources. You know. Yeah. If depending on the deck's style and in some cases your personal preference is going to change like some of the decision making, right? Because we can all agree that Professor's Research is a great card, right? Like it's fantastic. Definitely. Discard yeah. your hand draw seven, it's amazing. But it doesn't work in every deck. Like you're not going to see Inteleon decks play it. They'd be discarding uh, all their one ofs You'll happen to notice that my Dialga deck doesn't run it, because while I want to draw a lot of cards, I don't want to be getting rid of cards necessarily. I want to be stacking those resources in my hand, not just resetting it. So the card just doesn't work for me with this deck, so I don't play it at all. And you draw enough cards without it anyway, so... Yep. Like, that's, that's another thing to consider, but... So... You just kind of have to think about those things. And that was a lesson that I learned actually fairly recently. Uh, It wasn't until after um, EUIC when I saw Ty's list and how he built it. I was like, yeah, research doesn't work. This doesn't make sense. like, Because, you know, sometimes you'll get into that notion. And I think it really just comes from the fact that, like, we had just recently got out of a pretty cut and dry format with like tag teams and stuff where it was like Dedenne, Crobat, Research. Like if you weren't just chucking through your deck with those three cards, you were probably losing type thing. So you kind of have to think about that kind of stuff. We're in a format now where you don't have to do that. Some decks can. 
You don't have to do that in this format, which is a good thing in my opinion. Um, so you just kind of want to think about that. It's like, does my deck have a lot of one-ofs or two-ofs that would just really feel bad to just throw away aimlessly? Then like, yeah, maybe go heavier on Marnie or Shauna or, you know, Karina's Focus in the case of my deck, you know. Things like that, you know, just kinds of yeah. things you have to think about. Yeah, I mean, that's where that's where the deck building comes in. And the only way you get to... It's, a, it's like a muscle is the best way I could describe it. Deck building is like a muscle. You have to work it out to get better at it. Like, the only way you can learn how to deck build is by building decks and building 60 cards. Yeah, like I said, it's it's not it's not a skill that comes easily. Like you got to put the time in. Um, yeah. <laughs> if if you want an example, if you want an example, you can check out my personal YouTube page, Emerald underscore Element on YouTube. I don't advertise this very often because I think a lot of the older videos on there are very cringy. But uh, I have some old deck lists from when I started playing in 2014. And they are probably chock full of a bunch of crap that has no business being in any of those decks. Go check those out if you can deal with the cringe. And then come check out the last time we covered... Or go check out my Twitter and check my pinned tweet of the deck list I took to Baltimore. And like compare. Like it's it's just been this long process of me just refining the skills to get better at deck building. Like it's... Now it's not going to take you like eight years, you know. Don't don't misunderstand, but to show you that there is that it's it's a it's one of those things that grows, but it's also a perishable skill. I guess if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's that's why I said it's like a muscle. It's something that you have to work out and actively work out to stay like uh, top of the line with, I guess, or stay uh, stay relevant with and be able to do it well. Is you. You do have to know the game. You have to know the meta, know what's going on. That's how you, uh... That's how you, like... That's what affects the choices that you're going to be making. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not going to lie. This was kind of, like, the whole reason... You know, we, we, we have the 60-card showcase in general. Is that we're regularly building. We're regularly thinking of new things to try. You know, stuff like that. And yeah, and you can flex that skill out using the net deck strategy, like thought do what we talked about earlier. Even if you start out just net decking and then adjusting as you go along, uh, you do that long enough, you'll eventually realize you can build your own sixty card pretty easily, because you from doing that net decking, you have learned the format. Yeah, exactly. I was actually about to say that the hardest part about deck building is knowing everything in the format, right? Now, like, it comes pretty easily for us because we've been playing for a while now, you know. But we, uh, we knew everything that was in the meta before rotation, so now that rotation has happened, we just know, you know, we just know because we're in it, we're, we're, we're playing constantly. You know, if you're just jumping in, you don't know every card, you don't know every set, you don't know why this attacker is good, why this attacker is good. But, like... You know, the the net decking actually really does help in that department because you're getting exposed to more and more cards and then eventually you're like, oh yeah, I know what that card does. Oh yeah, I know why that card's here. I know why this is good. Like, that's the hardest part is knowing everything. And I don't mean like actually everything because there's a lot of filler cards that are completely useless. But like knowing 
most of the cards in the format. That's the hardest part, in my opinion. Yeah, and a big like one of the big final steps is too is what I like to do is send the list off to people. Is you want to get second opinions and people's ideas. So even while you're building it or once you have your first rough draft, uh, send it to your friends that also play the game and ask them. Be like, hey, this is the list I just built. What do you think? And they might see something that you don't. You might accidentally show them something they haven't ever even thought of. You don't know. But it's always good to get a second, a third, and a fourth opinion. Because uh, like, the card game is so broad that, like Valen said, you have to know the whole meta. That there could easily be something you're not thinking of that someone else can catch for you. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot. There's a lot to consider out there, so... You know, I, and that's something I end up doing. I mean, I, I have coaching sessions, so I have my coach help me look through my deck. But I've got I've got friends that are miles better at this game than I am that have also helped me with this kind of stuff. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah, but I mean, I think I've covered pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. Do you have any other points you want to mention or go over? Uh, I'll just reiterate one last time, test 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 it's so important like i know like sometimes it can be pretty demoralizing um because i've had days where i was like i built a deck or i built a variation of a deck and i go to test it i'm like yeah this is correct this is amazing and then maybe it is but then you test it again and it's just not working and then you test it again it's just not working testing you do it enough you're gonna iron out all the kinks that's how we have all these immaculate regional winning lists that are scientifically engineered for every little thing that they wanted it could be a little demoralizing sometimes but it's it's the only way that your list is going to get better is if you're testing it and refining it yeah 100 percent. so i'll I'll drive that point home as as my piece de resistance yep so i know that was a very very broad subject there we probably went a little a little off the tracks here and there but uh hopefully I think it was decently put together. Yeah, very, very much so. But hopefully that was, uh, you know, insightful or informative for any of the listeners out there, especially for any beginners that happen to be listening. We hope that ended up being uh, helpful for you. And if you have any more questions, I mean, you can feel free to hit us up on Twitter. You can hit up uh, the podcast at DamageCounter on Twitter.com. You can hit us up at our email, damagecounterpodcast at gmail.com. You can even message me directly. I don't bite at DCP as in Damage Counter Podcast. I mean, I'd, we'd be happy to help because, like yes, I said, we, like deck building is our favorite part of the game. So, like, we, we have a whole segment where we could go over your uh, deck live on the podcast. That is true. That is another reason we have the 60-card showcase is to talk about decks that other people are playing. So, you know. If you got questions, we we would be happy to answer and go a little further into the pro, into the topic because it's broad. I mean, there's there's a lot we've barely scratched the surface. Yeah, we could we could spend eight hours on this talking about nuances and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So if if there's anything that's unclear or anything that uh, you want more clarification on, feel free to hit us up. But with that being said, I do believe that's another episode in the bag. I believe you're right. It is in the bag. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Damage Counter Podcast. 
it means the world to us. Uh, I mean, like I said, like we've got we've been getting listeners from like all across the world, and that's just pretty magical. Like that's just the power of Pokemon right there, a truly global community. So we appreciate all of you for listening and for joining us on this week's episode. Again, you can hit us up on Twitter at Damage Counter, Damage Counter Podcast at gmail.com. We'd be happy to read out any emails you want to send us. You can find me on Twitter at EmerDCP. That's E-M-E-R-D-C-P as in Damage Counter Podcast. You can find me at Smiling underscore Anarchy. And you can also find the podcast itself on every major podcasting platform. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Anchor, uh, Podbean, literally everything. So check us out. Uh, and if we're not on a platform of uh, you know that you enjoy listening to us on, let us know. We'll make sure we get there. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Audible, you can leave a rate and review. It would help us out a lot. Let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we can do better. We very much appreciate it. And uh, you know, there happens to be five stars at that at the front of that rating and the front of that review. We do read those reviews out live on the show at the beginning of every episode. So definitely let us know. And with that being said, once again, thank you everybody for listening. We'll see you next episode.